and welcome to episode four of the Top Shelf Comic Book Club. My name is Steve Say, and tonight I'm riding dinosaurs with Melissa Megan. Hello! Broadwin Kelly. And your host for this month's episode, Mr. Bob Ryer. Good evening, Steve. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. How That's are you? Good. And you ladies, same? Fabulous. Thank you. Fabulous. I'm not sure good. why I always say hello like Julia Childs. I don't know why it always comes out that way. <laughs> well, when in doubt. <laughs> yes. It always works. Oh, Bob. Would you like to introduce this book? Surely, surely. It is Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. It's volume one, the collected trade of issues one to six, entitled BFF, written by Amy Reader and Brandon Montclair. Artist is Natasha Bustos. Colorist, uh, should, should you say this one? Tamara Bonvillon. Very nicely done. Letterer, Travis Lanham, and all the covers to date have been by Amy Reader. So I'm just going to launch into the synopsis of this. And then we'll we'll move on from there into a general spoiler free our impressions of what we thought of the book before we give you a warning some sort of alarm or bell or a dinosaur roar will pop up <laughs> like Jurassic Park and we'll know that from then on you may not want because there are spoilers to be had here indeed. there are indeed so here we go. Nine-year-old Lunella Lafayette is teased by the other kids at PS20 who call her moon girl and laugh at her inventions who needs friends though she thinks is she just biding her time until she, until she can get into a real school like the future foundation that will appreciate her gifts there's only one problem lunella has the inhuman gene which means that she could transform into a freak with powers at any moment using her Cree detector which she's built herself she's found a device that might help stop the change the omni wave projector dun, dun, dun. <laughs> however when it was accidentally activated, it opened up a time portal to the past that brought through to our present a group of angry cavemen called the Killer Folk, who are in pursuit of that self-same device, so they call it the Nightstone, as well as a big red dinosaur. So this book asked the musical question, is it possible for a nine-year-old girl and a 65-million-year-old mutated T-Rex to be friends? Can Lunella use the Omni-Wave so that she can save herself from the change? Will the Killer Folk take over the Lower East Side turf of the Yancey Street Gang? Why is it that parents just don't understand? Oh! <laughs> the answers just might be in the pages of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, BFF. You just fresh princed everybody. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah. So for, for this segment of the show, what we're going to do is we're going to go around the room, metaphorically, because only two of us are in the same room, and just see what everyone's general impressions of the book are in a spoiler-free fashion, and you can say what you want, and no matter what else I've written down ahead of time, we're, just go for it, within limits, no spoilers. So, let's see, who gets to go first? I think I will first introduce the hockey hellion of the Great White North and the scientist <laughs> supreme, Ms. Bronwyn Kelly. I like that. That's fantastic. I'm keeping that. <laughs> <laughs> So, Bravo, what did you think of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? Well, I really, really enjoyed it. I think, you know, it's funny. I um, <laughs> this, is, this is our fourth episode, and we've read um, four different books, I'd say, you know. Uh, there have been some, some threads of similarity through a couple of them, but this one's been very different from the others. And yet, 
I still managed to over-relate to this character <laughs> as I have to all of the others uh, in some degree or another. Um, I really, really enjoyed this as a coming-of-age story. Um, I, Lunella is just a phenomenal character. I love that she is super smart um, and still authentically a child. Mm-hmm. It is a wonderful all-ages story, which is a really nice. It's kind of a neat change um, as we've read mostly uh, books for adults. Um, I love that this is a, a fairly extreme example of a parallel to I mean, I fear puberty and the, the changes, you know, taking place in the preteen body. Um, but it, it's a it's a really neat exploration of that kind of time in somebody's life, you know. And I I, I really it's sort of that um, inside out feel to it. it. It really gets inside the head of a young girl. That, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and oh, my God, the color. <laughs> yeah. My note here for color is just color in block letters, exclamation points, multiple, and drool. I love this book visually. It's so beautiful. The art is incredible, and I just the color stands out to me, and it's just cheerful from beginning to end. No matter what's happening, it made me feel good to be reading it. Um, yeah, but... Lunella is uncomfortably like a much smarter and I'll admit it cooler version of myself as a child. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna have we'll explore this in some detail once we get into spoilers because I need to hear about this. Yeah, yeah. So your I, secret, I did. your secret lab, I'm sure. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. There was secret, a, not a so big, secret. Yeah, yeah there's a big part of my uh, my draw to my current profession was the lab coat. So, <laughs> nice. uh, traditional white, or have we gone colors? Well, uh, that depends entirely on what we've done in the lab. <laughs> oh, oh boy. But currently, traditional white right now. <laughs> Soon I- to be. Go ahead, Melissa. Can I ask, is there do you is there a reason for traditional white lab coats? Um, is there a technical reason for that? There are a couple of reasons for it. Uh, certainly in my field, um, which is currently microbiology, but has applied in a chemistry sense as well, it's very easy to see when you get something on you. And you need to be able to see when you get something on you so you can get it off. Ew. Because a lot of the time when you get something on you, it's very, very, very bad for you. So this is personal protective equipment. You know, it looks cool. It's awesome. Yeah. It makes you look like a scientist. But really what it's there for is to protect you from the stuff that you're doing, right? So mm-hmm. if you can see something on you, you need to get it off and you need to change your lab coat. You need to get rid of all your things. You need to – so it um, it's very good for being able to see when you have something on you. Okay. I <laughs> thought maybe they had stock at a dry cleaning company. Well, and I yeah. honestly, that is another – Okay, easy, great. Easy to and clean white. <laughs> I had to ask that because I get the question a lot from people about why hairstylists always wear black. And so suddenly when you started talking about the lab coat, I thought, oh, is there a real reason for lab coats always being white? There has to be because, you know, they're generally always white. Yeah, no, it is. I, we have a, a particular uh, medium that we use in the lab that is uh, carcinogenic. Um, so you, you have to really, you know, you glove up and you... Uh, we're dust masks and we earn a balance enclosure when we weigh it out to make it and everything like that. And um, it is absolutely beautiful when it's made and when it's growing the bacteria, it gorgeous colors and it's, it's really quite lovely. Um, but you really don't want to have it touching your skin. So 
it's good to know that it's there. It's quite bright pink. <laughs> so it, it stains like a mofo. <laughs> so, Melissa, the question begs to be asked, why do hairstylists wear black aprons? Uh, to avoid uh, color reflections because you stand behind people and look in the mirror. And so if, ah. you, if you're wearing color, then it reflects on their hair color and it, it makes the hair color look different in the mirror. Oh, that's yeah. really cool. Mine See, that's science it's, of its own right you're there. You're essentially yeah. a clean palette to look at a color on so that it doesn't interfere with your your eyes seeing the true color. What a great idea. Uh, yeah. That's that's really cool. I never yeah. knew that. It's <laughs> a whole other science. There's a lot of chemistry in hair. <laughs> I mean, I think that and because you get a lot of like color and crap on your on your clothes anyway. So, yeah. you know. There's a common trick in, in the hair industry that we Sharpie everything to make our clothes look fresh and clean. <laughs> <laughs> you just keep a black Sharpie and you color in those bleach spots. <laughs> yep. I've been doing stuff like that for years. So <laughs> let me now introduce the Circe of the Sirens, that Furiosa of the Follicles. Nice. This is Melissa <laughs> Furiosa of the Follicles. Oh, Damn. Nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, Melissa, what did okay. you think of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? I just can't even follow that intro. That's Bob's on point tonight. Pressure. <laughs> oh, my God, the pressure. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I thought it was uh, – I'm almost afraid to be honest about this because, Bob, I know you <laughs> love this story so much. Um, it's a cute, fun story. Um, I appreciate the nod to science in it and the positive presentation of a kid who not only understands it, but loves it. I think that's something I've not seen in a story before. So it was really fun to see that angle um, and really unique. I found the covers especially silly and vibrant and fun um, and really gorgeous. The interior art for me was a tad too kind of classic comic book um, and simplistic for my taste, but but very quality regardless. Obviously quality artwork, just not in my normal, mm -hmm. you know, preferred style. Um, it's not the kind of book that I would likely read on my own, but I'm really glad that, you know, that my book club friends challenged me to give it a shot because it's something that I probably would have glossed over and, and not picked up if I hadn't been okay. challenged would... to read it. You're a monster. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. Would... I obviously hate kids and dinosaurs. That's the problem. You are. You're a terrible person. <laughs> no, everyone loves dinosaurs. We'll even talk about that later. I now, do would love this... dinosaurs. <laughs> right. Now, would this be something that you could show to Max? Or is it a little past him at this no, point? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Max, I mean, Max, you know, my, it, all kids are different. My kid watches Marvel movies and loves okay. zombies. So his, you know, his threshold for, um, I think, aggression and things like that in, in his and his material that he takes in is a little bit maybe older than his age sometimes, but I would definitely share this with him. I, I just don't think, you know, I have had a hard time. He has his own comic books right now, but it, it's not easy to sit down with a four-year-old and read a comic book. They kind of lose interest a little quickly. Sure. Doesn't move fast enough in a story, you know, but. Yeah, and you can't make it into a flip book for the most part. <laughs> right, right. But I would definitely share it with him. And I think that it's a wonderful book, probably perfect to start at like, you know, around Anna's age, um, like an eight, nine year old, I think. Mm -hmm. would be. And and probably okay. really, you know, we can't I mean, you can't have you can't have too many books right now with positive role models for kids at that age, especially girls, especially people, uh, little girls of color. 
because that doesn't happen. So, you know, I can't say anything negative about what the book is doing. Right. It was more a matter of not in your wheelhouse. Exactly. But, you, but you could appreciate what was going on. I appreciate what it offers to the to the to the comic book world, and I appreciate the quality that was put into it. Lovely. Well, there you go. Well, it's only Steve left, so I don't have to say anything else. Now. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, come on! I, I have some fun. Who here. are you, Peter David? Yeah, that's me. Out of yeah. the way. Uh, so, well, they're, they're going to know what's coming. Well, it's uh, that Wizard of Waffles, the tsunami of tunes. <laughs> Steve said. Wizard of Waffles, I love that. Wizard of Waffles. Nice. Oh my God! Magic so, waffles. Steve, Magic yes. Waffles would be so good right now. There you go. What did you think of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? You know, like when you, you're reading comics, and you, we read a lot of stuff for the show, but uh, there's a comic that not only do you really like it, but you're glad that it exists and that it still has issues coming out. It hasn't been canceled, and it's like this magical little thing that you hold on to, and you're like, come on, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. <laughs> like, let's see those solicits. Let's get another arc going on. And... uh not to blow past the first six issues, but I just I'm so happy at the success that this that this little book has found over this past year. And uh, it could not have happened to nicer people. I think, you know, Amy Reader and Brandon Montclair, we've known them for a long time, a couple of years now. And uh, I just I've loved every project that they've worked on together and I love what they're doing with Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. I think it is a very vibrant and fun comic. Definitely a good all-ages thing. But I also think that there is a complexity to it that at first I was like, oh, you know, like you like if you read into it, like if you really look, you'll find it. And then the more that I read it, I've read it like probably, I don't know, like four times now. And every time that I read it again that stuff isn't so hidden and it becomes more and more obvious to me that that is like the heart of the story. I realized reading it through this time that I really like, I, I kind of connect with the Lunella character in ways that I didn't anticipate. Cause there's a question coming later about what do we think of the character? And I've had one opinion of the character for a very long time and I still kind of have it, but it's changed. And I've I've modified it, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, um, I mean, general impressions, Natasha Bustos is one of my favorite artists uh, of the year. I think she really just does this incredible job of bringing this, like, Saturday morning cartoon kind of kind of like that. But doing all these weird things, like, Lunella is kind of this inspector gadget of science she's got all of these little things like you know go go gadget skates yeah. and the little helicopter helmet and all these little things that she uses boxing gloves on yeah spanner things yeah. and it's all yeah. stuff that she's built in her spare time and she's like you know salvaged parts from whatever and she's doing her own thing and uh the book's got a lot of attitude to it mm -hmm. and i really like that because i really felt the uh like the maturing of her character and how she's kind of trapped. She's nine years old, but she's she's not nine years old intellectually. Like she's been beyond that for so long and she has such a difficult time talking to people 
and and getting heard. And I just I I thought back to when I was in her position and maybe a little bit beyond that, and I can relate to that. So um, I'm probably going way too deep. No, no, we're, we're... but uh, yeah, it's just it's a really really good time. I mean, we you and I have read past uh, the first thing, so we know kind of where it goes, and it's just. I always love going back to that first arc to read it again to to remember where it all began and kind of refresh my memory, but also just appreciate it from a different angle, having new pieces of the puzzle with the other issues in mind. And when I see the seeds being sown for things on like page four and five of the first issue, it's awesome. You know, it's really good planning. It's great writing. Uh, the art brings it all together in this really kind of colorful and fantastic way. And it, it, it's just, it's all good. Like it's all good as far as a, as a family friendly, you know, all ages adventure book about celebrating the idea of like science and individualism and intellectualism and having these really inspiring quotes stashed around around books to lead you in another direction to go and look up different things. Like I was looking up different scientists for one of our questions and reading through not just the ones that I knew, but other ones too, you know, and being like, Oh, that was cool. And that's like, that's amazing. Like, I don't even know this person. And, you know, now they're talking this philosophy that I totally get. And now I want to look them up and stuff like that. Uh, it's a door opener comic. Mm -hmm. For a lot of things, and I think Marvel really has something here, and so far they've done a good job by keeping it around. I have no idea what it sells or what it does, but the character is obviously important enough and written well enough in the Marvel Universe that she's got to stick around. Well, I and Speaking to Brandon Moncler some time back, the book the first trade is going to be solicited through the scholastic book fairs. That's awesome. To get it to oh. that young audience that it's intended for. What which a great now idea. Don't, right. Now, don't, yeah, they don't come into comic stores anymore. So here's a way to go see it. So if you're near one of your local libraries and feel the need, you can even say to them, hey, you know, scholastic things, this is great. Maybe you should have this in your kid section. I know the library did our presentation and is bringing in this book as well. Um, I, I'm just quickly saying, oh, go ahead, Melissa. I just want to add to my thing because I, I feel like I was a little bit harsh on the artwork, just kind of mentioning that it wasn't my thing. But I'm going back and looking at these images now, and I did forget to mention that I really love the um, facial expressions. Yes. Oh, yes. So way. open, so honest. Mm -hmm. There's something subtle, that stood out to me. Yeah. Even in their subtlety, they speak volumes. It's just a little bit of a shoulder shrug, or a little, you can see the, the head turn a little bit like, oh, mom. Simi, I, I first heard about this book going over to uh, Amy Reader and Brandon Montclair's table. They're usually together because they did Rocket Girl together and Halloween Eve, which is how I first became aware of their work. And so back in 2014, Brandon, who's a big Jack Kirby fan, said, hey, we're going to relaunch Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur, but it's going to be Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. And they showed me the, the little rough of the first cover. Because they want to pay homage to as well as update Kirby's creations by bringing it, the book setting and the characters and the sort of point of view into the modern world. But just as everyone's saying about having this new character who can espouse individuality and her own intelligence and that be what's the, the purpose of the whole thing. And 
that the new lead would be a nine-year-old girl of color trying to find a place at, that, that has now so many extra levels to it. Mm-hmm. And we have that grown-up about-to-happen thing, which we've all seen in, in young girls of our acquaintance. There's a and young boys too, except young boys. We Steve, we were just monsters at that age. I'm I'm thinking. I oh, was. I got some stories for you. Later. Okay, good. <laughs> we're gonna go, <laughs> to we're gonna go through some of those. <laughs> little boys are always little boys. The world hasn't changed us yet, sadly. Uh, and some of some of them even grow up to be president. So what do I know? Oh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Two mic drops in one night. We're not even done. We're just getting started. Yeah, here we go. Uh, for me, just uh, we're going to move into something sort of in between getting into deeper, uh, deeper issues. But uh, again, the inventiveness of this book is just really, really something special, whether it's her inventions themselves, the settings, the usages of a real New York that Stanley always wanted his books to be set in the real city. It's the real street names. Well, maybe not Yancey Street. That's a, that's a real street does fantastic for fans. It's a place all. in my heart. Yes, it, it always will. Uh, wonderful messages, those quotes from people as far afield as Archimedes and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yep. Spanning the, the decades. Just, it, it feels very grounded, but very otherworldly at the same time, which is kind of neat. It's a hard juggling act. And I think the, the, the team managed it. Yeah. It's a like like I there said, you go Brahman Brahman hit it on the head grounded but looking up. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Definitely want that on a t-shirt. <laughs> so should we do a brief synopsis of the plot, or we kind of covered what we need to without giving anything away? I think when you did the intro, that yeah. that was that that was good enough. Okay. I think we can move into uh, our questions. Okay, so was there some moment where, where just, before we get into actual question question anything in the book that struck you for instance about lunella's parents and her relationship with her mom particularly steve you're look like you're ready to go um i've actually was that was that one of the nope no it's not i'm that's not a question question okay uh so what do i think about lunella's relationship with her parents Mm -hmm. i honestly i don't know i i had a I had an an idea that that might come up, and I tried thinking about it. They're not in the book a whole lot. They're kind of absent, and I think that that's part of the whole thing. I think mm-hmm. that's part of the you know part of the problem, part of Ludella's problem, and part of her problem in connecting. I don't. I think that they're good parents in that they mean well, but I don't think that they're tuned into exactly what who they have. You know. Mm-hmm. Like one of the questions I'm gonna you know I'm gonna ask a question of my own because maybe you can help me with this, Bob. In one of the very first the first time we see Lunella, she wakes up in her room and on the wall on her pushboard, it looks like there's a whole bunch of applications and it says application rejected. Yeah, she's tried to get into all these better schools. How is it that she can do what she does and these places have rejected her? I would tell you attitude yeah you think that you think that's what what it is yeah okay yeah it's like i'm better than you okay yeah it doesn't go well in that entry interview yeah okay that's what i figured but i just wanted to hear somebody else say it she doesn't seem to genuinely she doesn't seem to genuinely perform well in class either no no No. she's bored to tears right right 
And that's actually one of the things about her that I like so much that I feel was very authentic um, to being like that child experience is that, you know, here she is with this awesome brain, this insane brain, this incredible intellect. So in that one regard, she's so far overdeveloped past her age that I think people tend to maybe expect development past her age in a lot of other areas and she doesn't have the sort of experiential background behind that to support it so you know she she yeah she's attitudinal yeah she's I'm not gonna um, I don't like I don't want to use the word bratty because that's not right that's not it she she's trying to express herself in her sort of authentic experience and you know like she's trying to to she's really trying to connect she's trying to communicate she's trying to express what she's feeling what she's thinking and how frustrated she is but she she doesn't have a way to do that other than just to be attitudinal, to say, this is what I mean. This is what I say. I'm so much smarter than you. Why can't you see it? Why isn't this working? What is happening? And no one's listening to her, and she doesn't change the tune because she's nine. She doesn't know how. The responsibility isn't hers. Yeah. Uh, she That line about no one's listening, that comes up later a couple of times. She... Sitting at, at breakfast with her parents, what did you learn in school? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> she, she's the same two, and, and the consistency is great, her classmates, her teachers, and her parents. Yep. And so because they're sort of, all below her, right? Like, they are oh, yes. in that one respect. Yeah, I don't think in this book, well, maybe one person she's met is her equal intellectually. I mean, so far. Ish. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, Melissa. We have a parent feel, here. Let's let's hear. <laughs> I feel empathy for her parents because it's obvious that they're concerned and that they want her to be happy. And the only thing that they seem to understand is missing is her lack of friendships. Right. Which is definitely important. It's definitely yeah. a you know an integral part of growing up and having a well-rounded personality is. Yeah. Talking to other people, <laughs> yeah, not talking, not talking at them as Lunella right. seems right. to do so often. I think there's certain aspects of what's going on with her that they do, um, that they do understand, but they just don't, they don't see all of her, and so they don't understand that the, they don't understand that the problem is coming from the fact that she's so smart, and not from the fact that she's just kind of super imaginative and loopy and all over the place. Because you know, speaking well, from. A parent as, that has one of those kids that's just always in his own world in his head. Mm -hmm. It's like it's easy to just kind of go, okay, you need to stop talking to yourself and talk to the other kids for a while. <laughs> well, and it's not really yeah. their fault per se that they don't speak her language, right? Because they don't have the intellectual capability clearly to right. really truly understand that side of her. But they do have the experience to know that that is only one side of her. So they do know that she is going to need friends and she is going to need support and she is going to need experience and she is going right. to need to grow up and she is and things will get better. And this, too, shall pass because they're adults and they have that experience. And so they are very focused on wanting her to be normal in terms of knowing that sort of normalizing your experience will help you sort of succeed in other aspects of your life. And so I think they deeply care about her. And I think that really shows in the scenes that they're in. They just they don't know how to communicate to her and she doesn't know that they're really trying because they're not speaking the same language. No, well, no, there's, they're... A, there's a point here where she catches on. Yeah. You know, yes. where Lunella learns she figures out what to say. Yeah. 
Yeah, her changes her entire room. Yeah, yeah and, and her, mother, her mother's attention is caught, and she immediately yeah. understands what's happening, and she gets yeah. it. Yeah, and it's a brilliant – oh, it's – I actually yeah. teared up at that moment. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there, that's – for a book that is, again, it's a it's a romp. It's a lot of fun and definitely meant for all ages, and I say that in the best way possible. We will, we're going to discuss that in a second, too. There's a lot of depth. There's a lot of learning that all of us as grown-ups and kids can do it at once about who, what our place is, what we should aspire to be, how we get there, and the struggles to be who we are individually. So that's a lot of weight for a book about a, a nine-year-old girl and a dinosaur, but I'm, it's there. I'm telling you, folks, it, it, it truly is. Now, on that all-ages front, this book carries a T rating. Which means it's for teens, which is kind of poor marketing at some level, though I, I've, I've heard theories as to why it's marked teen. Anyone have any thoughts as to why a book that's so perfect for everyone to read is sort of on the restricted list? Yeah. Go, go ahead, Romans, maybe? Mm. I mean, I remember a moment with the cave people where there was a lot of blood and kind of there's like a beating that happens, and they mm -hmm. don't. While they don't show it to you, they show you like the effects of it. Okay. You know, and that See, would be. I, I guess yeah. I've seen so many years of superheroes being the snot out of each other, and nothing happening that that didn't hit me in well, the yeah, same but way. You but yes, I, see, yeah. like you don't normally see like blood spatter. Yeah. yeah. You know. Okay. With superhero violence. It's usually very clean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yes, repulsor rays so and violence, Thor's so hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Rowan, you had something I know you were going to say. Well, I was just I was curious because I, I I'm not really as conversant with the sort of rating system as you guys are. So, um, does the T make it more restrictive? I I just I wasn't sure if that was like a restriction or just a recommendation because. Like, if it, it was more recommendation, then I could kind of wrap my head around it, because as a coming-of-age story, I feel like that would really resonate with people going through puberty. And so Teenager is sort of a yeah, kind of an appropriate we, rating for that respect. But we we got to pause for a more second and just say, is Bronwyn sure. really eating? Is she drinking champagne right now? Yeah, I am. Yes. This classy bitch over here drinking champagne <laughs> while she's talking about comic books. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I we, do put the ass in class. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. Um, it is more recommendation than restriction, though some stores, I would guess more corporate stores, would hold it to be a hard and fast rule. It, it is more meant T plus is most superhero books at this point. I didn't even know that was a thing that existed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> T, T plus? T plus. T plus is um, for grown-ups, sort of for mature audiences, would be things like clean room with real swear words and everything else. Do you know, what is the rating system actually called? Because the one for video games is the ESRB. This is, look, in the old days when I was a kid, they had the Comics Code Authority. Okay. This is a T, and clean room is a T plus? Yeah. Okay, this rating system yep. is broken. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and the all ages books are Archie, you know, My Little Pony, things yeah. like that. Okay, so My Little Pony's awesome, but. <sighs> right. 
not to say Archie isn't, that's not what I meant, but I mean, Archie, I could see being sort of even up right. to teen just because of the age of the characters. I mean, I mean, they've been around <laughs> yeah, for like yeah. 50 years, right? <laughs> the old, oldest teenager next to Dick Clark. <laughs> He's dead, so we can't count him anymore. You keep looking at me. Because you're ready. You're ready to because say something I, because Steve. I think I, I think you and I are thinking the same thing. Go ahead, hoping that I say it. I hope you are because otherwise I will. Okay. Oh, somebody's going under the bus. Yeah. Here, here's here's uh, just and a, their name starts with M. Just a fleeting <laughs> thought. Um, and please, anyone listening to this podcast, especially the creators, this is just a thought, nothing more. <laughs> okay. It's an all ages story. It's an all ages character it's it's everything about this is all ages is there any possibility that it could be a race thing no no that's not what you were thinking nope oh whoops no that's that's it's not a bad point considering the story that came out this week about uh another book and stores not ordering it i'm just saying i've seen i should probably explain myself so i don't sound like a complete whatever um I've seen some weird things go on with comics and I've seen I've seen comics publishers put books in a position where they don't necessarily fit to discourage an audience. It would be wholeheartedly foolish and I'm probably so far off base that I regret saying anything now, especially since <laughs> we should have vetted this question. Before. I should just edit. No, this it's whole a good no, it's a good thought. Uh oh. Just lost my right side. Oh no, oh, did you? No. That's okay. I can still hear. Right. Here's the thing. I think I think you're right in one sense about it being a discouraging rating. But it's not for that reason. My thought is this. An all-ages book speaks to vast majorities of adult readers as kiddie book. Mm. Teen Titans, all that kind of stuff. Fair. And, and, and a book that has so much more to offer being thrust backwards into kids books that now no grown up would ever pick up. They're trying to have it avoid that, but then it also misses the audience of the mom or dad who walks into the store. And there's a book they might pick up, except now it says T on it. So have you actually counter programmed against your own book at a certain level? Cause every, I got to tell you uh, in my local shop, which only gets a few copies of this a month, uh, there was a, a fella came in and he was looking for books for his his nine year old daughter. And so it was, well, I got a book for you. Oh, and he he came back and said, yeah, I I got to buy more. A lot of parents don't pay attention to ratings. They just don't. I, well, I, and I think everything requires some critical thought. How about you, <laughs> Melissa? <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't. No, I just mean I. Yeah, I honestly I don't pay a lot of attention to ratings. I just pay attention to. What the content is like, if I'm worried about something, I'll check it out first myself and then decide because because all kids are different. Like I said, some kids I know a kid who's 11 and is afraid of Disney uh, villains, you know, where I'm six. I'm 60 and so am I. So, don't, yeah, so it's I mean, I mean, I literally, I literally was just told by a parent of an 11 year old that his son couldn't see Guardians of the Galaxy because it was too scary. And I know my four year old has seen it many times. So. And, um, so if you guys want to know, I actually just looked up the Marvel rating system and what they base their ratings on. Hit us right. with it. This will help it all, but I'm just going to start with T, 
Um, well, all ages is appropriate for all ages. T is appropriate for most readers, but parents are advised they might want to read before. Um, okay. T plus means appropriate for thirteen for teens thirteen and above. And then parental advisory means appropriate for older teens, similar to T plus, but featuring more mature themes and or more graphic imagery. Which so I that's probably Alias or Jessica Jones. I would imagine like that. that Clean Room would be under parental advisory. With Me too. Yeah. Some of that graphic art. Well, oh. and all that kind of like Beautiful, pornograph, but... like porn language in there, you know. It's yeah. very... um, but I'd like to know, as a, as a language person, what are the ratings, teen plus, for teens 13 and above? Well, right. does that, that, that says they're also then teens 13 and below. That's a very poor sentence by Marvel. Stan wouldn't have let that pass, I'm saying. But it's a good point. Now, so in terms of that rating system, this is – granted, there's some blood and there's some dinosaurs stomping on stuff. Could it just be Lunella's attitude that she's disrespectful to her parents and adults that might put it into that? I think – that Bronwyn might have hit the nail on the head earlier when she said that it's a coming-of-age story, that if you're going to connect with the character and with the story, that putting it in, having the teen market right on the book is really where your bread and butter is planned for this. Uh, I think that they're hoping younger readers will, you know, find something in themselves in the Lunella character, or maybe they just like, you know rioting dinosaurs and, yeah, and crazy and little girls riding people yes. and magical spheres and stuff like that. And all of that stuff's good too. It's got a little bit of stuff for everybody, but the, the relatability of it, I, I think it's a little, it's a little scientific for kids, kids, younger kids. And I, I don't know that even if parents took the time to sit down and read this with their children, that they would necessarily That's grasp, like Melissa said, how, how difficult it is to get kids to sit down for comics as it is, you know, so, and she is. That's got a dinosaur. In. Yeah, the dinosaur is a big draw, but let's be honest, the dinosaur is a big draw across all ages. <laughs> yeah. Has been for me. I, I don't think I've mentioned it on this show because we've only done four of these, but our friend Jackie Turner and her little boy, Luke, she came over to my house one day. They've been to the Museum of Natural History on Central Park West. And she had a lovely picture of little Luke standing in front of the Triceratops. And I went, wait a minute, hold up. Taken in 1962 by my dad, I had the exact same picture of me, little me with blonde curly hair, which I had then, (laughs) and a flannel shirt standing in exactly the same spot as Luke. Oh, my God. Can we find, scan, and put that in the liner notes, please? Yes, I will, I'll find a way to do that, and I'll send it over to you, Steve. All right. Cool. That would be very uh, Max has a bunch of comic books, and his favorite ones are actually the series called Super Dinosaur. I love I that know. book. I've read that those. in the story time, yeah. Yeah, he's got a bunch of those, and he won't let me read them to him, but he loves to just sit and flip through them and, like, make up his own story of what's happening, you know? But he won't sit and listen to somebody read them. Oh, that's uh, – it'll, it'll come. Look, it's dinosaurs in space, right? Right. I mean, come on. Do you Robotic remember? dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Like, for the first, I haven't had one in a long time, but the first couple of years, I kind of had like 
catchphrases, unintentional catchphrases on the podcast, and Super Dinosaur was one yes, of them. Yes, it was. That's right. We did the books coming out. That each was week. Lauren's favorite one. Super <laughs> Dinosaur. <laughs> there, was that, there was the Animal Man thing. <laughs> I haven't done any of that crap in so long. We'll have to do a, a greatest hit show uh, or whatever. I've lost my edge. And then it was the Transformers. What was the subtitle of each week's Transformers book? Oh, How many in a row did I nail at one point? Like three months straight or some crazy? You number? had – it was a long – no, it was a long time. It was about, uh, I want to say, a good like 12 to 13 issues in a row. Yeah, more than meets the eye or whatever or, the other uh, Robots in Disguise. Robots in Disguise. was the <laughs> other one. <laughs> And you lost, I remember, you lost your streak because of the other one that came out that had, like, all the female creators on it. That's right, yes. That was actually really good. Winds, winds of War, Winds of Something. Yeah. Yeah, whatever that book was, that was the book that... It threw that me book. off. I was in a great rhythm. I just kept going. Anyway, we're on to Transformers. I'm <laughs> going to I'm gonna call that from here on in, we're going to get a little deeper into this. Okay. All right, spoilerific. So the spoilers could come out. Here's the thing. Spoilers even if we spoil, out. right? Even if, <laughs> even if we spoil something, and you, you just read it, you should be reading Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. So I'm just going to. Yes. <laughs> Pause. Otherwise, Stop. why aren't you listening? Yes. Come back in like two and a half hours. Yes, exactly. So, oh, oh Steve's taking his top off here. He's he's getting his, his sweatshirt <laughs> off. He's taking his top off. Woo! Things are getting exciting here. There's a reason I popped, I popped off the champagne. <laughs> so. Broadwin's got her dollar bills out. <laughs> you know what? You have to go up to fives in Canada. We have dollar coins. That could hurt. Either Plus. one of you would be horrified at the stupid little dances that I do around the apartment when Broadwin and I are together. It's amazing. I love them. <laughs> The last time I was there, you were on the phone, and I was behind the doorway, and like all I did was put my leg out. It was like a, like a, like a Looney Tunes cartoon where just the leg comes out, big, you know, pasty, hairy leg. Little, just sitting around the door frame, right? Yeah, just the yep, leg. The rat tat of my, my uh, drums going off, and just, uh, oh, God. Anything. It catches uh, me doing some of the dumbest shit. That's what makes it work. It's so great. I don't know how I follow that with a question. I'm going to try. I'm sorry. All right. Dude, you're not even married yet. It hasn't begun. Soon. Uh, Very soon. Yes. This is true. Count the days. (laughs) Should we make the announcement here? What? What? No. No. Okay. We'll edit that out, too. Okay. So questions for the group. There's our break point. Questions for the group. Can Lunella's fear of the change be read as a metaphor for a reluctance to grow up or perhaps her anxiety about seeming even more different than she believes that she's perceived already? would like to go first. I'll open the floor. Okay, I Steve, have, uh, go for it. Okay. Um, I think it's a matter of her feeling even more different than she already is. Excuse me. Uh, not being listened to appears to be a constant in her life. And I think that that can weigh heavily on a young and growing mind, uh, particularly if that mind surpasses those that she comes into contact with. She's operating on a different level. And I think to a great extent, she feels very alienated. 
and and the idea of of difference all throughout the book, even to its conclusion, that, that final page, the entire book is about changing and being different and coming into one's own and stuff like that. Um, as far as it being a reluctance to grow up, I think it's that, and I think it's more than that. I think it's a reluctance to connect with people. I think it's a reluctance to make friends. I think it's a reluctance to connect with the people that in some way I think Lunella feels are beneath her. Even if, even if that sense of supremacy isn't matured yet, I think that it's there for her to an extent. Um, but she's too young to really process it. Yeah. You know, and, and that's where she stumbles, where she's so intelligent in so many different ways. But then when it comes to people, and that's often the problem with the super genius characters is that they are so busy dreaming and imagining and building and inventing and all of these things and sorting everything out for, for the, the, the whole that they have very little time to connect with the people, even the people that are close to them. And then when they do reach out, they find that the, it, it's not received well, you know, and it's bounced back at them and they're left at a loss. And when you're nine years old, and if Lunella turns out to be as smart as she is, which has been established since, you know, since the release of this trade. But um, that's got to be intense. That's got to be really intense. I mean, that was one of the things about her that I didn't necessarily connect with her right away on a first read because I, I did find her to be very abrasive at times and downright mean to some characters i'm plugging in some stuff from later but she doesn't as much as she tries to connect she doesn't take the opportunity when it's given to her to make those connections she takes them for granted and she walks away in a huff and why can't you people understand why can't you follow me and why do what i want to do why can't you understand and then when she meets somebody who might be a good compliment to her it's no you can't possibly because i know better and you're dumb, and you need to just get out of my way. Which works a little bit, but it's going to be a very lonely life of superheroing, and when you, you know, I think the big thing is is that Lunella is so intelligent that when she actually has something to offer the bigger parts of the Marvel Universe, that she's going to want to be taken seriously. Just like Valeria in that scene where she walks into the room, and the entire like galactic council is is just waiting in silence for her to speak Lunella has that quality about her that she would be able to command a room like that if she was just given the choice yeah or the chance i'm sorry the chance awesome uh melissa how about you on this one um i mean i felt very similar to steve um i, I put in my notes that i would say it's more the second that you know her anxiety about seeming more different Um, If anything, she struck me as a child who has a reluctance to be a child um, because she recognizes that her age and her size are largely what prevent her from being taken seriously by adults. Yeah. So um, I think she remarks on that a few times in the story. So I don't know. I think that I think that it's more to do with, you know, kind of at her age, regardless of regardless of how or not regardless, despite how few friends she has and how she might seem to not care about the other kids around her and the other people her age, she, you know, she's still a nine-year-old kid, and I think she does care. 
And I think that the the bullying and the lack of acceptance affects her in in that way. And so she knows that, you know, becoming inhuman, whatever the hell that is. You guys will have to explain <laughs> that to me later. Um, <laughs> becoming not normal person um, yeah. is going to, yeah, um, it's just going to take her further onto the outside. Well, you know, some some of that the taunt she actually embraces because they they jokingly, both from her name and the fact that she walks into class in that first shot, wearing a t-shirt with a giant moon on it, moon girl, haha, blah 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 blah, yeah, and she goes get like very funny, yeah, great, yeah, it's not, it's not even not, funny, not even funny. <laughs> so she's already dealing with that problem of feeling alienated apart. At so many different levels. Yeah, she's she's a little girl who outshines her teachers, her parents, and so on, and her classmates, and probably most of the people on Earth, as we're going to learn fairly soon. So I think it really hits something there, Melissa, that is a, is a discomfort in her own skin at a certain level, as well as how people perceive where she should fit, which makes it doubly sad and uplifting at the same time. It's a It's a... Great little juggling act, I think. May I interrupt for just a moment? Sure. We're getting some tweets from Brendan Monclair himself. Really? Yes. Continue. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're not going to share them? <laughs> uh, not at the moment, no. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, uh, it's tech talk. Okay. Nice. Business. 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 It's business. <laughs> Mind your business. Uh, okay. Robin, how about you on this issue of uh, – Reluctance to grow up, or is it something different? Anxieties? What do you think about Lunella in this situation? I okay. I think I had a slightly different perspective on this than than Steve and Melissa, um, and maybe because um, I related to Lunella a little bit. Um, you know, obviously not the smartest person in the Marvel universe by any stretch of the imagination, but I certainly you grew could, up. Could be. well, I, I grew up a gifted girl, so. You know, um, I, I grew up understanding, like feeling a lot of the things that she felt um, in terms of not, people not understanding me when I was speaking. But beyond that, me not understanding why they couldn't understand me. You know, when when you are asked as a kid um, on tests and things like that to show your work, you know, Give me the answer to this question, but show me how you found it. I would often, those would be the marks that I would lose, the only marks that I would lose, because the answers were happening so fast in my head that I I couldn't identify the processes. They, I just, I knew what the answer was, and that's the answer, and I knew it was right. Why am I p- doing all of this extraneous stuff? Yeah. You know it's right. I know it's right. Well, why are we still having this conversation? Like, I don't, I, I actually don't understand. And at, at nine years old, at that age, you don't have a baseline for comparison. When you're saying I don't understand, it's not being rebellious. It's not being snotty. It's being authentic. It, right. I, Your I level of understanding at understand. nine, right, sure. <laughs> not you there know? yet. And then people keep and, – and then if you think about it a little bit, you know, like the, the examples she has for herself in terms of adulthood – are not precisely stellar. Her parents accepted. Her parents, I think, are lovely. Like, they're very good characters. They are not at her level of intellectual capability, but they are doing their best, and they are 
they're really trying and you know like I think they're doing as good a job as they can and and she does actually end up reaching her mom and you know so like there's there's her parents accepted in this yeah no and um, the parents obviously did try to get her into better schools right you know they're really some, working yeah. They want they want yeah. her to be safe. They want her to be happy. They want her to be healthy. And their idea of that is different from hers. But that they're the, her parents, and they're trying to live up to that responsibility. So I give them full, full kudos for that. But if you look at some of the other adults she has as role models here, the coach is oh. an idiot bully who yes. picks on her immediately. And then in his idiocy, actually accidentally opens – a portal that allows a giant 65 million year old red dinosaur and killer folk <laughs> into the future. And like no one mentions that. No one asks him to be responsible. The only person who was ever asked to hold any responsibility for their actions in this entire six issue run is Lunella. Not a single person is held accountable for another action. Only yeah. her. And she's nine years old. So none of the adults here, to varying degrees, are held accountable for anything they say or do. And they are varying degrees of idiots. Yeah, superheroes included in included. one case. Yes. And like and don't get me wrong, like I like the the I liked the addition and we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. I have thoughts on that as well. But even the police officers who come into this, you know, they're shooting at this dinosaur who has Lunella in its mouth. Could They're be completely bad. oblivious yeah. of the consequences of their actions, and there's no accountability whatsoever. Like, I can understand why Lunella doesn't want to change, why she has this fear of change. I don't think it's necessarily fear of being more different from other people. I think it's fear of being more different from herself. Uh, she knows who she I, is. I, I like that. Oh, she boy. Likes who she is. Yeah. I can't understand why other people can't accept her for that person. You know, she this this yeah. is the person she's comfortable with. This is the person she knows and understands. This is the skin she's in and has grown up with. And like it or lump it, this is what she knows, and she knows it well. And she's super intelligent. And this, so yeah, the fear of changing that brain that she is so familiar with that is her power, is her source of her identity, is her is the thing that makes her special. And that might up and betray her at any minute. Yeah. Yeah. So she, she doesn't know what that change right. could be. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, th this leads directly in as you as you finish it off. So I'm going to throw it right back at you, Bronwyn. I'm going to change it up. Okay. Now, in issue one, she thinks to herself, my brain is the only superpower I need, which is an introspection I just absolutely love and find very illuminating because she's mocked the school for being different, just what we've been discussing, read smart. Yes. And she... she Oh, this sounds awful. As, as people who are intelligent are, we take solace in that, you know, if there's one thing I have left, it is I have I have that. Yeah. And so it could be argued that the stand she takes is her drawing a line in the sand. This is who I am. Deal with it. Now, could that also be as a, as a young woman in now in our 21st century, her reaching into a, a sort of nascent feminism? That she's starting to look at herself as a as a young woman and not just a little girl. I okay. I actually the thing that I wrote for this is fascinating question. Love this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, because I remember having this conversation with my father at this age as a little girl. 
Like this, I, I, I really over relate to this character. <laughs> um, I remember, like, I, I went to um, university courses when I was in grade seven. Um, I, you know, I, I read all of Sherlock Holmes' nice. original Strand magazine illustrated copies, but you know, and all the way all of, exactly, you yeah. know, and all of. Shakespeare's plays before I had left grade school like this is you know these are things that I did because my dad supported me in this and my dad taught me how to be a feminist and this like my mom is a very strong very intelligent woman and she taught me how to be that but my dad taught me how to be a feminist because for my mom it's just who she is that she's it there's no other thought involved in being that mm-hmm. you know she's a strong capable woman because she's a strong capable woman you know, yeah. there is no political agenda there. There is no e- extraneous information there. There is that it. Why are we having this conversation? It's now such a charged word as opposed to what the concept is, which is everyone should be equal. Should be equal. You know, so my dad understood the political environment around that and wanted me to understand the political environment around that. But I think to some degree or another, Lunella doesn't have the time or the interest in the political environment around that. She is an intelligent, strong woman who is arguably more capable than anyone else she's ever met yeah so gender gender outside i don't know the, the gender identity yeah. other than the fact right. that she knows she's a woman has really entered into this yet is she a feminist i think she's a wonderful feminist example without consciously being a feminist exactly yeah oh nice nicely played return to my <laughs> serve for a winner <laughs> melissa <laughs> Go ahead. I feel like I don't have enough to say on some of these things. You're um, good to go always. <laughs> I I didn't see the I didn't see your point, Bob, um, in your question when I first read it, but I can see that now that you put it out there. Um, I could see her growing more comfortable with the idea of being superhuman later, because of what I said before about her frustration over not being taken seriously. Right. Um, that said, as most kids her age, um, are the bullying and ridicule from her peers likely influences some of her feelings and actions at this point in her life. So despite her habit of thinking of herself as above them, I think she is, you know, she does feel it even though she doesn't show it. Oh, that's that's lovely. That's a, that's a great (laughs) thought. Yes. They're they're taking her down to a place she doesn't want to go, but she probably believes it's there anyway. That other level where she's not adequate and not ready. Wow, it's all those insecurities, yeah. which is why I guess bullying works. It's why it hits home so hard. Right. <gasps> oh, we're throwing some stuff down here tonight, guys. <laughs> I mean, this is this is great stuff. Where's Dr. Mara? Yes, exactly. We need a psychologist here today. She's got I think. the night off. Here's uh, the night off. Come right. on, she, has, she only does like, six podcasts a week. She's got like two hours <laughs> off. That's what she yeah. has. Off. Yeah, exactly. And I think she's got to spend them reading for legendary runs. <laughs> yeah. Actually, she just moved into her brand new house. Ooh. So she's probably unpacking, if I had to guess. Yeah. She has a comics room. Yes. I'm, I'm envious about that. I saw the first box. <laughs> the one box. There's box just one. one solitary box in a very lonely room. All right, Steve. Steve's looking over the question. With, I'm looking with... over the question because when I copied your questions into my own document, for some reason, this one did not come with. I, the I entered it like two days ago. Oh Lord. 
Okay. Oh, I, come on. I added all of today's questions in. You could have added yesterday's <laughs> questions. <laughs> I don't know where to begin. It's like a paragraph long. Um, what do you think? Lunella Lafayette, feminist on the rise, or just a little girl trying to deal with what's happening around her right now? I don't think she's got time for feminism. Yeah. Okay. I, honestly, I... I think it's I think if there is a if there is like an innate feminism to the character, certainly. But I don't think that Lunella is consciously striving for that. I think she is first and foremost looking to thwart the oncoming situation of the Terrigen Mist reaching her and changing who she is. I think that's her priority. Uh, I think connecting with people is last because she doesn't know who she's going to be after the change occurs. Uh, I think for as intelligent as she is, that she spends a lot of time worrying and a lot of the, the drive for her to keep creating and keep finding a way around things and inventing things is to make sure that whatever change occurs, that some of that, it's such so much a part of her that it stays. Mm-hmm. Through the change that regardless of what the mist can do to her, that it doesn't take too much away from her. She's still Lunella. At yeah, the other she's, end of it. she's mm-hmm. constantly reinforcing her own behavior. Behavior. I'm sorry. Um, that beer is making me burp. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, she certainly could be uh, a feminist character, but it, but aren't like all the characters that are, are written really super well right now that are female like, don't they kind of have that going for them right. because it's, of how much the that's an, the anti-sexy lamp yeah argument yeah. right you someone know, who's got or do they just feel feminist gravity. because they're not what you're used to <laughs> that you know that that's a great point too melissa because we've seen so many characters who aren't from the major publishers particularly that now someone who i gotta tell you you see a character that's just like a normal person like I to be female. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I but mean, a normal I, person is equal. Like, I mean, the, the feminism is just the radical idea that men and women are equal. equal. Right. Yes, I'm in a I'm in a unique position on that because you know I've only been really, really reading comics for the past five years since we started the show, and because of the pedigree that I've had in podcasting with, with you, Bob, and being a part of the community and standing for what we stand for, like I have filtered out pretty much any and all chances to run into those characters that do a disservice to the gender. And I have curated, you know, my my reading list. Like I read a lot of Greg Rucka. Mm-hmm. Greg Rucka <laughs> He knows he's he's a man, but he knows what's up when it comes. He doesn't to write characters. a sexy lamp. <laughs> no, right. He doesn't. And write you a sexy read Gail lamp. Simone and Kelly yeah. Sue yeah. and yeah. Becky yeah. Cloonan and Gail right. Simone right. doesn't. Um, even people like Faith Aaron Hicks. Yep. And um, you know, there are my my tastes have always leaned in that direction. That I haven't been exposed to a whole lot of like the '90s garbage. Or the bad periods in which characters like, oh, well, I remember when this, this character was wearing this and they were doing that and they were mind controlled by this person. So they were sleeping with that person. <laughs> I've never read any of it. I've I didn't read good for you through any of it. No, and yeah. I, you know, it's I read enough be, be, <laughs> for for the website that you know 
I am picky. I am picky, and I do go with my gut. And uh, and you know, if I find that characters are acting in ways that I don't like them to be, I I move on to the next one. I try a different book. You know. Yeah. I think so, it's really uh, cute that Steve just admitted that he sheltered because of talking comics. Yeah, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> adorable it's good to have a cranky old uncle in the business that's, that's well that's the thing idea. like the longer the longer that i that i read this stuff you know and i plan on reading until the end so you know i'm in this and uh it'll be interesting to see it's only five years when it's 10 years when it's 15 years and how that stuff you know waxes and wanes and stuff like that like i've seen the seeds of progression in those areas, I've seen them sprout and grow. They're not like, not to keep using flower they're not mighty, They're not here, mighty but... redwoods quite yet. But right. you know, it's books, it's books like this mm-hmm. that start to make the difference. Look, there are a lot of, like, they, they say that the, the pool of creators that are writing, you know, strong female characters, quote unquote, which is ridiculous, but that are writing like, solid female characters that are relatable and that are all those things. I those are my people, you know, those are the people that I read because I I have respect and I don't have time for that other nonsense. You know, I have filtered out those books and those creators based on my own, not what other people have said or would have, you know, reviews or sites have told me. But you start to get a BS meter as to which one. I have plenty. I have believe me. I have plenty of shit that from when we first started this thing that I'm willing to get rid of anytime. Come pick it up. Yeah, I having been a completist, I've got runs of stuff that I could flush down the toilet. Yeah, but I now I want to run on something as a sidebar. Go ahead, finish up. uh, Bronwyn was actually going to say. Go Bronwyn. Cut her off. No, no, I was just uh, saying that it's kind of nice that you can curate your entire collection, and I've seen both of you (laughs) when your collections, and (laughs) they're not inconsiderable for anyone who had any doubt, and to have that kind of collection curated towards strong female characters, and to to have that kind of creator pool, and for anyone to say, you know, that, that that's an insignificant part of the business, it's clearly, clearly not. Yeah. So... You know, it it may be get it may get drowned out from time to time, and there may be problems. There, I'm not gonna say may. There are problems in the industry, um, you know that that definitely need to get addressed. Uh, but it is nice to know that there are core parts of it that are good and worth fighting for. Yeah. Uh, quick sidebar to what we're talking about here: the change that Lunella feels, subtle commentary on body image for young ladies what they see in magazines and television movies, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. that she's afraid of, okay, this change is coming and I'm not sure what I'll be afterwards. Will I be accepted if I'm different or am I reading too much into this? Here's my question. Is Devil Dinosaur supposed to be a mirror for something? Big red dinosaurs. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, is, is, he, he appeals to the big red dinosaur. Crowd. No, 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 no. I know, and then certainly. No, the mean, elephant in the room. You know, male privilege, perhaps. Is it like? But is it the? Is it also oh, like a metaphor or a mirror or a parallel or whatever for the oncoming of change? And it's this giant red razor to the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Thing, right, yeah. but it's got this uh, this demeanor to it that it's kind of soft. 
and if you if you nurture it and you treat it the right way, it will protect you and it will be on your side and it will, you know, look to be with you even when you push it away. Three and, points, Steve. Things yeah. Like that. <laughs> I like Impressive. That. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. You okay. Birth, not just a pretty face. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Melissa, change in body image and all that sort of stuff. Am I over my pay grade in thinking about adding this to the discussion? Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, Broadway. She she's a nine year old. She's a nine year old. Let's okay. not let's not put body image on a child before she has to Got it. pick that up, you know. I just I don't I mean I, I know that kids think about it early these days, but I just for somebody as intelligent as her and she's busy building things and inventing things, I, I can't imagine that body image comes into play for this kid. Yeah, I, I, I have to admit, I felt the same way as Melissa. I didn't think that body image was a, an image. Uh, not, it didn't, it, it didn't occur to me until you had said it. And then I kind of looked at it and I thought, if anything, there, the change for me was the, again, the sort of uh, reflection of puberty and the sort of natural changes that happen in a body as, as kids hit that I'm a child and I'm not in a child anymore kind of age range. So, uh, right. Body image issues can certainly come to play in that, but I, I didn't really think of it as so much body image as in just I'm I'm changing from a child, and then the yes, sort of intellectual aspects of understanding that. Okay, so I missed the boat entirely, but it was no, worth no. Thought. I just wasn't on the right. same boat. <laughs> I, think, I think it's I think it's a nice and sensitive thing that you yep. would think of that and yeah. bring it up and question it, and that matters. Oh. Definitely. Okay. But she ain't got time for that. She doesn't. Doesn't. (laughs) Now, now, while I have you on the the line, so to speak, Melissa, you know, I see a depth in Lunella that really belies her physical age and her youth, but but she still seems like she's a regular nine-year-old, that she's kind of cranky and sort of that frustratingly in-between age that nine-year-olds who've been of my acquaintance have always been. What do you think, as, as particularly as a mom of a young boy who's nearing nine, somewhere down the road, but not so far away? <laughs> Let's not move it faster than it's He's, going look, already. Look, Max Max is a pretty sharp, pretty smart. Was he four now? He's four. Okay. He's going nearly, on 30, right? Well, I was going to say, Max, just, yeah, Max, just be Max grateful is, he's not a teenager yes. anymore. Max, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Max didn't have terrible twos. He raved to teenager. He definitely is. So what do you, what do you think, Melissa? Is is she more like a real kid at some levels, or is she? You know, I, I think of her more than the usual movie TV assortment of kids that we've read who have sharp lines. What do you think? I mean, I don't know. This one was tough for me because honestly, I don't have a ton of experience with kids around this age. Um, besides like Anna, um, a couple select friends of mine who have, you know, kids, but, and even that, I mean, Anna's kind of similar to Lunella in the way that she's just really kind of, you know, sharp, extra Mm -hmm. charismatic kid. Um, but I don't know, you know, this one was really, this was such a tough question for me and it shouldn't have been so hard. I think because thinking about this character and kind of brought to light for me why this book didn't grab me quite as much as I thought it would. Because when I saw the subject matter, I thought, okay, this is, like, I can really get into this. 
Um, and it just didn't, it didn't appeal to me as much as I expected it to. And I don't know, maybe you guys can help me figure this out, but I don't, um, I think it was a decent portrayal of an above average intellect, intelligent nine-year-old. I can't say that I found her particularly charming and kind of what Steve hit on before, um, in any way as a reader. Like she was, she was a bit bratty and kind of, I thought, man, this kid is just like, she just doesn't try at all to, to reach out to people or to let people in. Um, and you know, she's a bit arrogant. She's quite arrogant for a nine-year-old. Um, even though I really wanted to like her a lot, I really did on paper. She's exactly the sort of kid I thought I genuinely enjoy hanging out around. Um, in my opinion, there's a certain level of scrubbed polish on this character and the story that almost feels like a commercial version of who that kid would be. Um, okay. And it's it's kind of, it, it, and I feel like that's kind of what keeps me from feeling a, a, an emotional connection to hero stories sometimes. Like, right, there's, there's, there's a shell between a you and them. There's yes. to it, yeah, yep. that I can't, that doesn't really reach me like something like the clean room or something that has characters that feel more real um there's just something that feels less realistic in it and i really wanted to love this character a lot i love who she's supposed to be and i love what she's about um i even tried comparing it in my head to things like harry potter which is like a vivid fantasy that's full of stereotypical character types mm -hmm. you know you could kind of like tag all those characters is like well that's a, this kind of person and that's the that kind of kid um and and really out there creatures but somehow those still I like I can see the real people inside of those characters and I can't see that when there's uh I'm not sure why the fantasy aspect doesn't interfere with the character believability for me but when superhumans or heroes are in the front and center of a story it really does and it makes okay. it much more difficult for me to to hold right. on to a character I don't know why that's I don't and I don't understand why it's like that for me it's kind of like a block <laughs> like no it could be this personal taste as to that's another roadblock to your enjoyment of it that you have to get mm -hmm. past to see that. Now, my follow-up would sort of be this. What was Lunella, as we read her, as a seven-year-old or a six-year-old, considering the gift she has, how much did she put up with to get to be the nine-year-old arrogant, <laughs> I'm, I'm past everybody else? How much grief did she catch the previous four years in school? I'm saying it couldn't have been easy. Um. I mean, I could I could maybe add a little something. Sure, go to ahead, this. Steve. Uh, um, I think I don't know if it's in the first issue. It might be. I'm I'm flipping through it right now. But there's a moment where Lunella is making her way down the stairs, and we get a panel that features a number of like family photos mm -hmm. and stuff from her childhood. And it's her in you know a Halloween bunny costume, her at the park, and her and all of these different things with her family and smiling and doesn't have a care in the world and she doesn't have her nose buried in a book or you know her head down working on a project or anything like that that at one point maybe before her intelligence really had come to come to the surface and she started working with it but she was very innocent and and didn't have any of those qualities until she started to mature well, I think and, potentially the screening for Terrigen may have yeah. the inhuman gene may have kicked in at, at that wow. point as well you know the to me the motivation here and the thing that maybe triggered some of the brattiness for lack of a better term and and uh, abrasiveness is she's very anxious about 
this inhuman gene and no one else is taking it as seriously as she is. Mm-hmm. Ah. Or she's maybe too, because she just, she is more mature and you know, there's a point at which a kid becomes a yeah. teenager where they kind of gain that, like I'm invincible, yep. really cocky sort of feeling about everything. Like I can just get out there and do whatever the hell I want and it doesn't yeah. matter. Um, you know, that point where they start to think they know everything, even though they're like a quarter whatever. of everything. Yes, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So maybe and she's I, just fast forwarding to that place because she's so much more mature and intelligent. Yeah. And I mean, certainly like there's, you know, evolutionary precedent for that, you know, like in terms of like family unit and things like that, like kids require boundaries. And in order to find out where they are, they have to push them, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. so, you know, that, that there's reasons why children behave the way they do right yeah, so and she and she's pushing those boundaries four years early yeah in essence steve you how know. about you about our lead character um well i've said this on the on the podcast in uh months past that uh i do admit i've often thought of lunella as unpleasant <laughs> uh you guys hated me as a kid <laughs> <laughs> well here I'll, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna get to some stuff like she acts very high and mighty in her own way, and I'd often found her reluctance to joining others in any way rather off-putting. That being said, uh, I do see the other side of the coin, and in my reading the book again, uh, I mentioned it earlier that I found myself identifying with her more and more with each time that I read through it. When I was in high school, you know, I was uh, – for people that – don't if, I don't know how many episodes of the Talking Comics podcast you've tuned into, or all if of I've, them, I hope. yeah, all of them. <laughs> uh, if I've ever mentioned it on this podcast, but uh, I have Crohn's disease, and it's not a good time, and it's especially not a good time when you're growing up in middle school and, and into high school, and uh, you know, I weighed seventy pounds when I was you know fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old, and people did not understand. You know, they, they didn't understand what was happening with me. Uh, teachers, some of them were very receptive. Some of them were very involved and others were not. You know, they had entirely too many kids to worry about and, and just couldn't focus down on my situation. And uh, it would be a hindrance to my education. It would be a hindrance to my being involved with projects. And uh, like I said, it was very, very alienating. And... Uh, I understand where Lunella is coming from, and that's kind of where I started to attach myself to the character in this reading for the podcast. Like I had finally had that connectivity with her uh, in that the, the school stuff in particular throughout the story was some of my favorite stuff because I think Bronwyn touched on it a little bit earlier, whereas her parents are at least trying – to be good people and trying to be good parents and trying to have patience and understand she gets very little understanding from the people where she's supposed to be getting her education you know they don't take her intelligence seriously the kids relentlessly tease her about her intelligence how is anybody you know and she's proud of who she is you know we also brought up the the concept of her losing a part of her identity with the uh, Terrigen Mist change. And it's all really scary stuff. And I started to understand where, like, the attitudinal stuff would come into play and where, you know, sometimes when people get defensive, they get nasty, you know? And 
<laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe it's it's poured on a little thick. But then again, you don't. She doesn't have that gauge. She doesn't know where those lines are. She's she might be very vastly intelligent, but she's also nine years old. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She she does in many ways. She she is still written as a nine year old, insanely brilliant mm-hmm. nine year old. Yeah, but still nine. Yeah. It's also you know. This is the other point that I was going to make. Like, it's also difficult to talk to people sometimes when you don't feel like you can relate to them. I've had a very hard time uh, in my life having casual conversations with people. I often uh, I have a word for it. I, I call it weather talk. And <laughs> that for me, like, I need something of substance to really connect with a person and. Oftentimes, I don't know what comes after introductions. And, you know, it even happens when I'm with people that I've known for years, mm-hmm. people that I'm supposed to or known to have this like huge connection to. And I don't. There's a wall there and it gets awkward and I clam up and like I'm constantly working on it, but it hasn't been easy. And I don't know that it's ever going to be easy for me. Um my approachability kind of goes all over the map, you know, and it really depends on my environment and it depends on the people and all of those things factor into how relaxed I could be. Just recently, uh, Bronwyn and I went out to dinner with uh, a listener of the podcast and his wife, and I was nervous as hell. I changed. I don't know why, but I changed like three times before we went out. <laughs> I did different things with my hair and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? It was really you know, he's going to like you one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, why am I putting this, you know, unnecessary pressure on myself? And it was because, you know, like it's a listener and we're going to meet them. And I, I got to be on. I got to be Steve Say from the Talking Comics podcast, not Steve Say, the whatever living in, you know, the Long Island Sound kind of thing. And it was complete nonsense because we had the best time. They were super nice people. And uh, I was very comfortable like right off the bat. Yeah, and it was okay. a unique situation for me. Yeah, they really, really were. <laughs> it isn't always easy. I People probably won't believe this for as much as I've talked on these programs over the years. I'm about as shy as you can imagine anyone being. I, I have real problems with that. My mother could talk to anybody at all, and I tried to take that as an example. And for me, the best moment in, uh, on that sort of basis, and a really short version, I was at a friend's house for a Thanksgiving some years back. And standing in her kitchen, I was acting as a sous chef, chopping the baby carrots and making gravy and whatever I was doing. I, of course, brought a cheesecake because I wouldn't be allowed over there oh. without a cheesecake. So, uh, right. So, so, so my, my friend <laughs> Michelle said to me after after we did this, she's you know, I just watched you in the course of ten minutes talk to my architect about architecture. My son about sports, and my four-year-old niece about little kid stuff. I don't know how you do that. I went, I don't know either. <laughs> but it's just it's just a reaction against being shy. It's just okay. I need to reach out to everybody, yeah, to try to have someone to talk to. That's how I do it too. I made a decision when I went from grade school to high school. It was a conscious choice because I was leaving the grade school I'd been in for like eight years and had a class of 20 people um, and going to like a big school. 
that you know would be absolutely tiny by any of your standards, but um, <laughs> uh, it had a lot more people in it than I was used to. And uh, I just I decided this was an opportunity that was presenting itself to me that where I could change the dialogue a little bit and I could I could change how I was perceived and who I wanted to be and I I needed to uh, if I wanted things to be different in my life then this. I needed to take some control over that and I yeah. needed to, to change how I interacted a little bit too. So I started sort of watching how people who were more successful uh, socially interacted mm-hmm. and tried to apply some of that in my own life with varying degrees of success. But, <laughs> but always a struggle. Uh, you know, I, I was a fast learner. I've always been a fast learner. So um, I got a lot better at it a lot quicker and I, I took a lot of lessons I, I applied myself intellectually the way I always have I've been studying communication since I was like 12 years old <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it, uh, that, that was a conscious choice on my part to go from sort of standard introvert where I just and I like I, I remember really being Lunella in that moment of sort of scorn looking at her classmates like these people who are these who people? Are, who That's are not they? funny. Yeah. What are you exactly. like? You're repeating this crap back to the teacher. Why? Why are you even doing that? Like it doesn't. This she's not saying anything of use. You know, like you aren't learning anything. This isn't why. Why are we having this conversation? You, who are you people? You know, and I remember we'd get together. To, you know, all the parents and the we'd get together, and the kids would go off to play, and I would hang out with the parents because that would be the better conversation. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that would, Amen. you yep. know, that would be the conversation that I would have, you know, I, I would. So I, yeah, I, uh, for me, this, this was a pretty authentic portrayal of a nine year old because I was like, no, oh, this, this was me. This was a much cooler, much cooler version yeah. of me. <laughs> you didn't have boxing gloves on extenders no. and. And I was a Jet chemist, not an inventor, and I okay, well, there you go. very small town, and <laughs> and by town I mean village, and by village I mean hamlet. <laughs> <laughs> and not so, Shakespeare, yeah. Definitely not, you know, Yancey Street, and and uh, there were no giant dinosaurs, and I did not, you know, I know that no one else sort of found Lunella to be charismatic per se, and I get it, but. When I'm comparing her to my own experience, she was charismatic compared to me. <laughs> there you go. Oh, I, I, uh, oh, I did not learn sarcasm. I took everything very literally. I, you know, I just, oh. you know, things were things were tough for smart little Bronwyn until she yeah. figured some stuff out. <laughs> yeah. You figured it out well, Steve. You were gonna. Yeah, no. Just for the record, like my my opinion of the character is is not. It's far from negative in in any way, and the the unpleasantness about her. I think that whole thing for me eventually came around to the idea that I often I've noticed when I read that I often resent characters that mirror maybe the uglier sides of me, mm-hmm. whether it be the uglier sides of me now or growing up. That when you hold a mirror, like Bronwyn and I were actually talking about some of the stuff. Uh, this past time that we were together in, you know, things that you think back to being a kid and being in school and maybe you weren't the nicest person at all times or you were difficult to swallow. You were difficult, you know, pill to swallow sometimes. 
Uh, I definitely, definitely have a couple of moments that I can think of off the top of my head that have stuck with me in that before I had become a better person and realized that I did not need to act a certain way, definitely caused some people grief growing up. And, uh, you know, I've talked to some of those people since having, you know, these kind of uh, thoughts and everything, and I've gotten to some of them, and others I haven't. And I, I really, you know, it's uh, it's tough being a kid. You know, especially one that feels like they don't belong when, you know, kids, most kids make friends so easily and they all, you know, oh, your your favorite superhero is Batman. So is mine. We're best friends now. <laughs> it's a hook. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just yeah, got to find it. Alas, so, poor Yorick. I knew him well. <laughs> yeah. And look what happened to him. He was just a skull in a hand. Um, to go to some... Lighter but still heavier topics is rather comic booky bookkeeping, so to speak. Uh, halfway through here, we see the use of Amadeus Cho, the totally awesome Hulk, as as he appears. Now, was that for those not reading? Was this kind of jarring? That is the inclusion of the larger Marvel universe a detriment to your enjoyment, or did it heighten it? And then related to that, was this book engaging on its own, or did you sort of need prior knowledge of those other characters who'd like to jump ahead? Perhaps our non-Marvel reader, Melissa. I didn't. I didn't know who that was. Okay. <laughs> I saw your question yeah, yeah. and I'm like, who? I. <laughs> I mean, I recognized obviously that he was the Hulk, but I. I didn't know who that character was, and yeah, no, I actually added the question. I think in here, if this book was friendly to people without any past. Yep. Um past knowledge of Marvel, and for me, it was a little tough, because I really didn't, I, I, you know, there was, I mean, again, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the reference to Inhuman. Uh, like, is, okay. is, does that mean a mutant? Does that mean a superhero? What does that mean? Because those are the people that I know. <laughs> um, uh, ish? Uh, ish. It's, yeah, the, the mean, new versions of the X-Men, because Marvel doesn't own the X-Men in the movies anymore, so they okay. play up the Inhumans. Okay. They were introduced way, way back, sort of, in Fantastic Four 35, but particularly in number 44. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at 50 years ago. I So, I mean, that said, I think that this book does assume some kind of prior knowledge of some of... Okay. Whether it's whether it's understanding what Inhuman is and or whether it's understanding why this like I I recognize the Hulk but I'm like that's not the Hulk like what really, you know <laughs> I like felt the same way because I didn't know Amadeus Cho either yeah I knew I knew okay. he was supposed to be the Hulk but he wasn't any Hulk that I'd ever recognized before no. so I'm like this is a really interesting take on the Hulk and then you're like hey how about Amadeus Cho I'm like that makes more sense. Yeah. <laughs> He's the eighth smartest character in the Marvel Universe, and he says so constantly. I kind yeah, of I, beg I question different. that. Oh, uh, Steve <laughs> begs to differ. I beg yeah, to differ. I do, too. There, there's a panel of him uppercutting Devil Dinosaur. Into and, New Jersey. Into New Jersey, <laughs> and Devil Dinosaur just smashing to the streets, smoke, and all of these things. If he was so smart, he would keep the fight contained. Yeah. Uh, and he would know better than to. He doesn't know what's over there. He has no idea. 
And he's like, you know, protect the people and you're dangerous. Are you kidding me, man? You just sent, you know, however many tons of dinosaur into an unknown part of a cityscape. Yeah, he was you pretty disingenuous. Well, yeah, the the fight goes completely out of hand. Yeah. yeah. And he, it's it's eventually Lunella who's who's with tears in her eyes. Stop. What are you doing? Stay. Yeah. Very sort of what are you doing? She's the grown up in this situation. Again. Right. She's the only one who is expected to have any kind of responsibility for the consequences of their actions. Like, yeah, the eighth smartest person in the world. The eighth smartest person in the Marvel Universe would know that in- intellect is not a particularly measurable, let alone comparable <laughs> characteristic. <laughs> Interestingly enough, though, if, if in going ahead a little bit beyond the BFF trade, Amadeus Cho is somewhat of a recurring character in that for all of the people in the Marvel Universe, if there if there's anybody in the future that really ends up listening to Lunella, it's him. Well, which is, he, which, he, it's good to hear that he gets redeemed because he was right. kind of a – well, he was Dope. a jerk face jerk in this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I have I have some thoughts. Okay. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Amadeus Cho's Hulk per se. Uh, though I'm not sure that he feels entirely out of place in this story either. Uh, just like Lunella, he's new to the Marvel Universe, mm-hmm. of sorts, at least in this in rebooted guys, yeah. whatever it is that they're doing. So I thought it was actually a smart pairing. Uh, I also enjoyed the obvious and drastic differences in their intelligence. Uh, both Lunella and Cho are know-it-alls, but in different ways where Lunella privately bemoans not being able to connect with other people. Cho doesn't even seem to care. And what's more is that he punches dinosaurs into New Jersey. Right. And he even like, he continuously boasts about his achievements. He's like an intellectual jock of sorts. And, uh, in the stereotypical sense, um, there are always exceptions to, to the rule, of course. But, uh, yeah, I just, they are, they're they're like opposed magnets. Like if you if you switch the the poles around and you yeah, try to push them yeah. together, you know they want to meet in the middle, but they can't. Who's going to bridge that gap? Right, that's the question. Yeah. Um, and I also I also think it's, you know, he's he's asking for, yeah, <laughs> he's asking for for low key. And decorum, and there are rules to this superheroing thing, and you can't just do whatever you want to do. And then, and, and, well, he kisses his own bicep, right, in, right? in a crowd. Yeah, Ugh. and he's like his actions, both in this book and his own solo series. He is. It's like you got to be kidding me! Like this coming from you, that's ridiculous. But like I said, I think because for stuff that comes later, he's going to be the person that bridges that gap into the larger atmosphere of the Marvel universe being like, Hey everybody, you already know me, but I'd like to introduce you to Lunella Lafayette. You should probably sit down for this. Now speaking, speaking of that, that's a lovely segue to my segue. I have some thoughts if I may. Please do. Sorry. (laughs) Um, I, I, I was with Steve a little bit on this. I, I thought, um, that he was a bit jarring for me um, because as I said, like I, like Melissa, I didn't know Amadeus Cho as the Hulk. Like I'm not familiar with him because I, um, I don't read any of the Marvel uh, universe comics right now. Um, but 
I liked, I thought it was jarring in a good way, if that makes sense. Yes. I, I thought it added to the story to have that little connection to the Marvel Universe. And I actually, I'm, I'm looking at my notes and I, I have to revise based on what Melissa said because I had, I had thought that this actually worked as a standalone without that sort of connectivity. But I realized that because I, I don't read the Marvel Universe, but I do watch the Marvel Universe. So I was familiar with Inhumans. I was familiar with that concept. I, I know the about the Terragenesis, although i got to tell you, oh, my God, it hurt my heart to be reading Terragenesis. I hear it <laughs> all the time, but reading it, it was in my head it's spelled wrong because I read MSDSs all the time and I'm looking for teratogens and yes. it's spelled differently. So, But it means a very similar thing. So yeah. every time I'm reading about like the Terragenesis or the, or the Terragen cloud, and I'm like, oh, it's not spelled. Oh, it's not spelled right. <laughs> Blame Stanley. I know, I know, I do, and you can't blame that guy, he's too cute, but still, (laughs) like, oh, it hurts my heart, Um, but I did find him to be very, a very disingenuous character, Um, but I thought that added to the story, because all of the adults, with the exception of her parents, who were the bridging of that gap for me, between child and adult, which was a lot of what this story came down to, was that bridging of the gap between child and adult um, and that change. Uh, he he fit into that kind of archetype by being so disingenuous. You know, he was saying one thing and doing another over and over and saying, you should do this because this is what heroes do and then behaving in a very not hero-like way. And... You know, you should think of the safety. I'm going to beat up all of these people without any regard to the consequences. Um, You know, and forcing her to, again, be the one who takes responsibility. So I I thought it was a good hook to use somebody who could be that jarring kind of poor version of an adult. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And still get into that Marvel Universe. So uh, for me, it, it worked. It worked in a uh, kind of way but it worked <laughs> Here you go. Uh, coming a little bit ahead i know steve has read ahead lunella has an interaction with another younger character from the marvel universe who is a little better example uh, excellent and it, it, yeah it works itself out a, a little differently and there's something for him so that was a double spoiler alert but I, I didn't alert anybody so it's too late we're late in the show um, now, considering that, it's wildly publicized, so I'm not giving anything up, but coming with the next issue, Lunella's going to be a judge, the smartest character in the Marvel Universe, which puts her above a lot of pretty amazing people. Now, we have a group here that go from only occasionally reading Marvel to full-fledged half a century's worth of Marvel zombie. So what is our take on this nine-year-old girl being the smartest character in Marvel Universe? Steve's biting the microphone off. Go ahead, Steve. All right. Here's the deal, folks. It's about damn time. <laughs> Ooh, that's actually different from what I was expecting. I'm no, I'm excited. It's about, I'm writing that down. It's about yeah, damn, it's about I like it. damn time. This is a brilliant move by Marvel. However, oh, uh, I knew there was a however. Yep. <laughs> because it's Marvel, I love you, 
and I I know that it comes down to the creative team and it comes down to the editors, and I applaud all of you. But this this one's for Marvel. However, crowning her as the most intelligent character and using the influence that you have to back it up is the is an entirely different ball game. This is a huge opportunity for you to say something about younger, family-friendly superheroes, as well as an up-and-coming character of color, don't just say she's the smartest. Put your money where your mouth is and shout it from your ivory tower. Yeah, Marvel, go for it. Okay, make Lunella and Devil Dinosaur, make them action figures. Give them their own cartoon series. Make T-shirts. Yes, please. Okay. Play up the whole science is important messaging of the series. Let readers as well as the masses know that intelligence is just as cool, if not cooler, than being able to read minds, pop claws, or leap tall buildings in a single bound. Mm-hmm. Preach. Boom. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Bronwyn, Melissa, who wants to jump in on this one? Uh, okay, I'll go. Okay, Brahma. Um, my thought on this was, uh, I mean, awesome. I love it. Although I really did think that, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm super impressed with what Steve just said. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I thought he would, he would be a little bit more annoyed that, uh, Valeria was being dethroned. <laughs> they could be best friends. Yeah, I oh, see. Yeah. And I, I'm looking forward to a Lunella Valeria matchup. I think that'll be yep. a great book. <laughs> Um, but uh, I I think and I think Lunella said it best she doesn't need her intelligence ranked unlike some people Hulk (laughs) (laughs) in air quotes I love that I just you know like it uh, I yeah I mean I know that in the Marvel Universe this is a big deal Um, so yay because if it's a big deal make it a big deal yeah fantastic you know but from somebody at the top to not need to be at the top, that's a good example. Oh, that's heavy. <laughs> I like that, though. <laughs> Melissa's making faces. Melissa's <laughs> she she's ready. <laughs> Melissa's ready to go. <laughs> Melissa? Oh, no. Do we not have audio on her? We've lost audio on Melissa. Uh-oh. Sorry, my fault. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> My fault. We my just kids, lost some gold no, right my, there. My, my cats have decided to be complete, like, just little misfits while we're doing this, so they keep running around behind <laughs> me and eating food and making messes. So I'm trying to keep the noise out of the recording by muting my mic when I'm not talking. Um, my question is, what happened to Ozymandias? That's my question. Is she going to be smarter than him? He's DC. It doesn't matter. He's still the smartest superhero. Right? No, no, it, it's per universe at this stage. Yeah, we're setting it to one side, and I would, I would still tell you Reed Richards is, but that's just me because I'm an old timer. Superhero nerds, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I just so sh- I mean, sure, why not? Uh, why she, not? She's nine, so you know, hopefully she grows a bit before number thirteen, um, because as we all know, knowledge is not just from book smarts, but it also requires life experience and common sense. 
Amen. Development. Which is less common than we'd like. <laughs> right. Development of other abilities and psychological understanding of the world. Um, and some of those things she's a bit lacking in at this point. So I have not read ahead, but I'm just going to say that if she's going to be tagged the smartest character, and I think this is really just saying the same thing that Steve's saying. I think they should develop the character to be the smartest character and follow through on it in more ways than just saying she's really smart. Yeah. Well, I mean... That's the plan, right? Like they're... Right. They've, they've been moving towards it in little steps. That's by having Amadeus show up more than once. Right. And, and the cover of 13 is pretty much the, okay, here's where we're headed, where she's surrounded by all the Marvel doodads and gizmos. Yeah. And I mean, it's like, like I said earlier, you know, this is an investment for Marvel. Yeah, it's long-term. You know, it's a long-term thing. It's a long-term character. They didn't have to name her the smartest character in the Marvel Universe. They did that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a there's a moment that happens later where it is it it's established. It's said. It's it's their imprint, plain as day. You could very well be blah 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 blah. That is going to be spoilers for anybody that hasn't read it. But like that's going to be <laughs> exploring. <laughs> We haven't spoiled anything of the next six no, issues. No, no, no. Yeah. Like, really haven't. Yeah. Explore exploring that position in the Marvel universe. I think is going to be one of the focal points of the next arc. Absolutely. Um, of course, these things. You know, there's a little bit of a break going on because these things take time and relaunch schedules are what they are. And regardless of whether a book is ready or not, they want it to come out at a specific time because everything you know has to be a well-oiled machine, or so they hope. And every now and again, they get you know an event. <coughs> War screws it all up. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur has managed to kind of be birthed out of the whole Terrigen Mists thing, mm-hmm. um, but has also managed to remain kind of unscathed by the Civil War stuff. And I think that by bypassing that, not only did they, they do a, a service to uh, the continuity of the series, the development of the character with the new Marvel Universe that they're establishing, they can put her in that position. And that is just like that is writ. That is law for this new thing that we're doing. You're now living in a Marvel Universe or reading a Marvel Universe where a nine year old, you know, girl of color is the smartest is smarter than Reed Richards for whatever reason, because he's not there or because she's done X, Y, and Z to prove herself. And which, because children's brains are more plastic. Right. <laughs> you know, fortunately, Bob and I have had the opportunity to see Lun- uh, Lunella do more. And she definitely exhibits just this. Yeah. <laughs> her intelligence is vast. Like, I don't even know how smart she is. That's how smart she is. <laughs> she, right. She, she has a secret project that is off the charts. Yeah, that's nice. all I'm going to say. Now, Exciting. I I think it's time to move into the goofy stuff. Sure. All right. So, starting from this, Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur were created by Jack King Kirby in 1978. And as someone who was there then, to not great effect at the time, it, no one really cared. But of his many hundreds of creations that have lasted through decades... On his own or in collaboration with Stan the Man Lee or with Joe Simon, who co-created Captain America with him, who is your favorite Jack Kirby character? 
Who wants to go first? Steve. Steve is going to go first. Well, you already know. Everybody knows who it's going to be. It's going to be Susan Storm. Nicely done. Yeah. Um, she's just there's a there's a a piece of my heart in that character in podcasting with you, Bob, and and with when 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 the the, the good days were good and we had you know future foundation and. Uh, Fantastic Four comics that came out every month. Cough, cough. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, seriously. What the? Anyway. Um, <laughs> and that, folks, is a story for another day. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I love the way she keeps it all together. I th- I, th- I think her her powers are fun. I think she uses them in creative ways. I love how she can go from being the mother to the superhero at the drop of a hat. Um. I already mentioned her abilities, but like the creativity of those abilities. One of my favorite images of Susan Storm ever is this one where she's throwing up one of her, you know, Invisa shields or what, or what have you, and this hail of bullets in this circular pattern are being blocked by this shield that she's creating, and it's just such a striking and powerful image. And every single time that I look at it, it reminds me of just how awesome that character is and that goes to be said for all the quiet moments with her as well those moments where reed kind of pulls his head out of his own ass and out of his own project (laughs) and is able to actually interact and talk with his wife for a little bit should she be so lucky (laughs) asshole um there's this there's this incredible tenderness there and this understanding of his need to create and figure things out and she gives him room but she also pulls him back when he needs it and she's not afraid to step in and get in his way and i just so many facets of that character are the things that i respect about females in general she embodies a lot of that and it was one of the first female characters in comics that i saw that had those qualities in spades and I really fell in love with that character. So of all of Jack Kirby's, there's a lot. There's a lot. I looked at the whole list. I looked at every day. And there was, page after page after page. I had about, yeah. I struggled with about like five of them before I hit the S's. And I and I saw Susan Storm. Well, that's that's that's, that that's it. And I didn't even. I just wrote down her name. I didn't write anything else because I didn't need didn't anything need else. To. Didn't need to. Yeah. Bronwyn, you sound like you're ready to go. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really struggled with narrowing it down too. Um, for me, the sort of formative years for me with comic books was when I was younger and reading X-Men, you know, the, uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, late eighties, early nineties, that kind of, uh, and I, I really just rogue was my, was my character of choice, but the X-Men in general were my, you know, Jean Grey and the black, the dark Phoenix kind of stuff and like all of that. And I just, that was kind of my happy place was reading the X-Men. And I know everybody read the X-Men back then. Like, and that was like, that was what was out there and everything like that. So it doesn't make me kind of, uh, sort of special or anything like that. There's nothing kind of exciting about that choice, but I, I always loved rogue. I always felt like, I know it should have been Kitty pride or somebody really cool, but Rogue was always my. Uh, Jean Grey was definitely one of those original X-Men. She was the first new member. It was was the boys club when Mm -hmm. Jean showed up in that first 
X-Men number one yeah. as sort of, wow, oh, look, Iceman was, oh, it's a, it's a new girl. We got to go. He <laughs> <laughs> was completely yeah. in, in love and, and the rest of them were, too, including Charles Xavier. Yes. Who who would have thought balloons about, you know, I really love Jean, but I'm her teacher and I can't do that. Yeah, I that's know. absolutely right, Charles. Yes. Scheme. Exactly. How are you supposed to be doing? Not not at all. Listen to Chris Claremont talk about her and he only refers to her as the redhead. I love yeah. that about <laughs> exactly. It, like Jean will always have a place in my heart just for that reason. It's because Chris yeah, Claremont absolutely. hates her so much. I love <laughs> I love her. I always um, loved her. But uh, Chris Claremont, we had a lovely interview with him, but he's a, he's an interesting fella. There's I, no yeah. question about that. He's a hoot. You, to yeah. hear him talk, like I just, if you, when you get a chance to hear him in a panel, sit back and just let him go. He's funny. <laughs> there, there was a panel we went to a, one of the New York Comic Cons with the special editions where everyone else begged, begged it and didn't show up. It was Chris Claremont and Peter David for an hour. <laughs> Basically, rag, basically ragging on each other. Yep. How many how many mutants did you really create, Chris? Like, come on, five hundred really? <laughs> it's made up names. You just did nothing. You didn't create new characters. They went back and forth. Anyway, Melissa, favorite Jack Kirby character? This um okay, yeah, three hundred and twenty three characters on this list. By the way, <laughs> you're killing me, Bob. And you're you, killing me. <laughs> and you settled on. I settled on. Uh, I'm gonna go with Loki. Yeah, Loki. awesome. Um, awesome. I have to. You know, I, I'm. I think for me, um, if I'm gonna get pulled into a hero story, I, it's based in mythology, and that's kind of where my, you know, that's kind of where it grabs the uh, the literature nerd in me, and I can carry that over into superheroes sometimes. Um, I love me a good antihero, and a good villain. Um, I love He's that. He is. Yep. I have always loved Loki. He's. I love that he's so crafty and manipulative, and I love that he is fragile and has his own kind of flaws and soft spots. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so, he can be a good guy every now and again, and that's what's so yep. intriguing about him. And yeah. I think if you want to talk about, you know, the art um, in particular, since we're talking about Jack Kirby, you know, the look of Loki is so recognizable and he's one of those characters that like his look has carried over through the through the years yes and it's really it's totally recognizable and it doesn't matter if it's on a woman or a man or it's always you know (laughs) this beautiful like green with these giant horns and it's just such a powerful look to me gotta have oh absolutely most people don't remember it, it is in the movie but loki is the reason there's the avengers yeah because in avengers number one all those 50 four years ago it is at this point he just was trying to find a way to get thor out of the way so he can he found a way because he's a conniver and a schemer and a trickster to get the hulk to beat up thor yeah. that's all he wanted to do <laughs> look just beat the snot out of my brother and i'll be it'll be fine it'll, it'll, all, go, it'll all go well uh melissa while we have you here i've got a question that is in i think could be in your wheelhouse so what do you think you ready okay i'm ready if you could have a pet dinosaur, <laughs> what kind would it be and what shenanigans would you engage in? <laughs> I did a ridiculous amount of research on this. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad it wasn't just me. <laughs> no, I was like, I can't. I'm really bad at remembering stuff like this. I'm like, okay, I see pictures in my head. I can't remember the name. So I went back and I learned about all kinds of new dinosaurs that I didn't know. 
Nice. Um, and this is going to be kind of silly, but this is my answer. I picked something called a Chilisaurus. Ooh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shot, eats a chilies? What, a what does Chilisaurus. he do? <laughs> <laughs> um, hang on, let me pull up his page again. I have him right here. So the Chilisaurus is, I picked him for a few reasons, because he's small. Um, he weighs about as much as a pig, and he's about as tall as a wolf. And I picked what? him because he's an herbivore. Um, and he's actually known, apparently, in science circles as the vegetarian T-Rex. <laughs> I didn't know there was such a thing. I, I know, I didn't the either. Veggie T-Rex. Adorable. <laughs> um, it's because he's from the same family as T-Rex dinosaurs, but he was definitely an herbivore. So he's a truly unique dinosaur because um, he began oh. to evolve kind of along his own line instead of staying in his relative theropod family so very cool yeah and he's uh he's a cute little guy he's a, he's a cute little, uh, yeah he's a cute i'm gonna have to look him with, like up. little beady eyes and a little tiny head and he looks like he looks like a tiny little t-rex but without Does he have teeth. little arms like a little t-rex. arms he yeah like short little arms and he <laughs> kind of have like almost like bird-like feet he's a really yeah. strange looking little dinosaur awesome and i nice. just call him chili his name is Billy. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to go and hit the salad. That is brilliant. Yes. Yeah. Um, Bron, what? Uh, go ahead. I, I was going to say my do? the worst thing I would do I would take him grocery shopping with me so I could clear the aisles of slow moving <laughs> nice. people in front of me. Oh yeah. Because they they would think of course. Oh, we're just looking at a picture of him. He's gorgeous. He's cute, right? Yeah. I, love I it. like him a lot. He's, like, small enough that you could bring him into things with you and go places. Yeah, you could put him in a stroller, you know, just roll him down the aisle. (laughs) So cute. See, look, they just found another dinosaur in China that completely feathered. Nice. And we're we're getting a whole different feel of this. So seeing the the picture we're looking at of, of Chilosaurus here, he is green and orange and yellow and very much like a very big parrot yeah. with, a, with a long neck. So cool. But he has a he has a kindly face. He does. He's, he's got a chicken nice feet. He's, he's I a think bit, so. He does have chicken feet. He's a vegetarian <laughs> T-Rex, just like well, me. Well, vegetarian <laughs> T-Rex. Roar. <laughs> that is awesome. Oh, okay, Bronwyn, you're on the spot. Right. Well, I uh, I I thought along similar lines to Melissa because you know we're the same person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I went for a small herbivore, <laughs> uh, but I went for a non-avian. Um, so Microceratus. <laughs> oh, um, I'm like one. They're so cute. Oh my god, they're like little triceratops. They, you know, they're tiny, um, kind of one of the smallest non-avian herbivores. Um, quadrupe- oh. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Quadrupeds with frills. <laughs> frills. And some horns. I know. But he's, <laughs> kind wanna- of on, he's kind of on two long back legs and two shorter front ones. He's very unique, too. Right? So he kind of looks like a battering ram a little bit. <laughs> I almost picked a few that had cool spikes on them because they looked so cool, but then I thought, but then you can't really touch them. Yeah. Yes. You don't want a pet that you can't, like, touch ever. Yeah, you don't want an ankylosaurus or kind of thing with your big bony tail thing and spikes and armor and stuff. You want a little cuddly. You want a little I want, I want a frilly one. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> I want one I can take for walks when I'm going out Pokemon hunting. <laughs> well, you know? They might all have feathers. Me. You know, we, we kind of like the idea that they've moved on a little bit. You know, we, we've evolved. Mark Norell of Museum of Natural History in New York has been trying to overturn the classifications of dinosaurs for years. He thinks that uh, AVs as a category should be just dismissed entirely and be replaced by dinosauria because mm. birds are just dinosaurs. Yep. So why not just call them by their real name? I kind of like that. I yeah. want to know there's a T-Rex outside my window still out there. <laughs> I mean, technically, Steve, how about you could have just picked a crocodile if you wanted to. <laughs> True. Well, well, oh, speaking of, <laughs> Bob, you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation of this. The Sarcosaurus? That looks about right. I can't even see it. Right there. Sarcosuchus. Sarcosuchus? Yes. Okay. Nice. So the Sarcosuchus is, uh, if y'all see in and I know some of you have and hate it, but uh, Jurassic World, ah. Broadman, Ugh. it's okay. No, it's we're, not we're okay. The dinosaur, not the movie. It's never going to be okay again. <sighs> the giant uh, descended from crocodile nice. dinosaur is the one that I would pick. Uh, he was around. Yes, he was around during the early Cretaceous period uh, in what is now known as Africa and South America as one of the largest crocodile-like reptiles that has ever lived. Uh, it was almost twice as long as the modern saltwater crocodile and weighed up to eight tons. <laughs> uh, Yikes. He's you can't a... bring him in the house, honey. Where are you going to keep this thing? <laughs> yeah. In the shed? Here's the thing. I am going to form a magical bond with my dinosaur, and I'm going to have a custom-made saddle. Nice. And, and you're going to have two fingers. Are, we're just going to cruise. <laughs> There's going to be enough room for a couple people. It'll be cool. It'll be the party and, dinosaur. Yeah, and we're going to go. We're going to we're going to swim to uncharted lands and just go for like an overnight on an uncharted island that's just for us. Me and my friends, and Very we're gonna romantic. build a fire, <laughs> have a couple of drinks, drink some fireworks, and Sargasuchus or whatever the hell is name. I'll give him a better <laughs> name than that. <laughs> well, uh, I'll call him Snappy. Snappy <laughs> good. I know. When Broadwin and I play Diablo, you can conjure a crocodile, a bogodile, actually, when you're the witch doctor, and his name for me is Snappy. Nice. So. Snappy the the Sarcosuchus is my dinosaur of choice. We will have many adventures, and I will maybe buy an island or two. There you go. I like it. See, I my favorite dinosaur is Triceratops, but you can't do too much because he's the size of a rhinoceros, even bigger. So it's like, okay, what do you you want a little pet? So I thought Protoceratops, which is the first dinosaur they discovered had laid eggs over in the Gobi Desert, Roy Chapman Andrews and one of his expeditions. But that seemed too simple. I'm going Archaeopteryx, which is the choice. Yeah, it's the prototype for all the birds. It's a dinosaur in body type. It has teeth and claws and arms and legs. It only has feathers all over the place. And it is the missing link between dinosaurs and birds. It's what proves you know, 
He's pulling up the Berlin specimen, Steve is. He's the sandstone Archaeopteryx. Now, it could fly, probably clumsily, but it could certainly fly. And so what I would do, I would go down to the beach where they're kite flying and just set them loose and then rip all the kids' kites to shreds. <laughs> just because I'm mean. That's like my wanting to spontaneously combust in a Forever 21. Yes. That, that would be good. It's just pieces. So I, I think we, we've all proven ourselves to be real, real dinosaur fanatics at one <laughs> level or another. This is good. <laughs> oh, nice choices all around. <laughs> Um, now on, the, on that we have a we had a, an additional question thrown in. So is our titular hero, Devil Dinosaur, a good dino or a bad dino? Ooh, well, I I think he's more like chaotic neutral. Right now, I mean, honestly, I think probably I chaotic agree. good. I just wanted to throw that in there, but you know, I mean, because he does, he does actually form a bond with Lunella, and you know, actually, you know, treat her well. You know, once they've sort of connected, he saves her life, he makes attempts, you know, whatever. So I think definitely leaning towards the good side of things. But if he's not invested, he's just well, yeah. So definitely chaotic. <laughs> Nicely played, <laughs> Melissa. I don't know. I asked the question because I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I can't I can't decide if he's good or bad. So. <laughs> See, for me, I think he's like the shark in Jaws. He's just is. Yeah. But he does lean, just as Bronwyn says, he is trying to be better. So there's yes. intelligence in him somewhere. I th- he's I an think- ancient animal, right? So he's not really reasoning or choosing to be good or bad necessarily. No, but he is well, mutated. Applying human concepts of morality to non-human entities is not necessarily the wisest choice either, right? What about Mickey Mouse? <laughs> exactly. That shit is creepy. <laughs> um, I also think it happens to, uh, to do with his loyalty and uh, the idea of uh, the, the the Nightstone mm-hmm. is what it's called. The, um, whoever holds the Nightstone is if he be worthy no, yeah <laughs> and and obviously with moon boy and and the passing of the torch so to speak uh there is a there is an existing connection at the beginning of the book between those two characters they've obviously been adventuring or doing what they're doing in that land for a time and in that connection him letting go and the circumstances being what they are that this object that i've passed on to you has now fallen into the hands of this nine-year-old child just like you protected me you now have you now have to protect her so i like it that initially right like they do have to kind of form that bond at first he seems to want to take it from her right so Mm -hmm. he's protecting just the device until he realizes she's the protector of the device as well yeah yeah speaking of bonds we can't spoil that no we can't um moving Moving forward, Jeremy Whitley mentioned to us on Talking Comics this week that Nadia Pym, the unstoppable wasp of the new series coming early next year, could be getting a visit from Lunella Lafayette somewhere in the pages of that book fairly soon. Are there any any other Marvel characters you'd like to see her drop in on or from any other publishers for that matter? 
What do you think? Who'd like to take on that? Steve is Steve is chomping at the bit on this one. So go ahead, Steve. <laughs> I just want to say mine before you get to say yours. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know that you're going to take mine. <laughs> uh, I am a pretty big fan of the Power Pack. And I know that we, we discussed a little bit of this with Jeremy. Um, as much as I would love to see Jeremy write a Power Pack, I wouldn't mind seeing a Power Pack written by Kelly Thompson. Ah. With art by Brittany L. Williams, who is the artist uh, on Hellcat. Yeah, on yeah. So Patsy Walker, a.k.a. Hellcat, for those who haven't caught up. Written <laughs> by Kate Leth. Awesome, awesome series. So much fun. Uh, so, yeah, the Power Pack, I think, would be would be should be a great addition to that group. Uh, another group I think she would have fun with. Of course, there's the Future Foundation, mm-hmm. which came to mind when. Uh, I saw that little rejection letter on her bulletin board. And then, of course, you know, you'd have Franklin and you'd have Valeria and you'd have all the kids. The and Moloids and, yeah, the Mo- and Bentley and the rest. Yeah. The, the, the inclusivity of that group, that yeah. they are so varied. I think she would feel very much at home with them. Uh, she wouldn't feel so different. So I think that would be awesome for Lunella. Uh, and also uh, from Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men. Uh, Lunella transferring into the Jean School, uh, Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. Uh, <laughs> I think would be fantastic. Are we talking? Are we talking dupe being around? That's what that's what I have in my oh, notes. Okay. I would love to see Lunella's reaction to both dupe and to uh, Krakoa. Yeah, the living island. Yeah, yeah. the living <laughs> island that the school is built on. Uh, I just, I I want to see her. A, branch out and be dropped into uh, a pool of people that are unlike anyone else as well. I think they would have a lot to uh, learn from one another, and especially if she's an inhuman, her being friends with the younger X-Men before all that bias comes in, I think would be to her benefit because prejudice is something that's learned. You're not born with it, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't get to that point until the influence is so strong later in life. You've been influenced by so many things that you start to be weird or do whatever. Um, I think that her being aligned with those kids uh, would be really, really great. So nice. I don't know if there's any plans for that, but uh, if there is, just uh, cut me a check. They sh- yeah, they should absolutely nice. make them. Brahman, are you up for this one, I think? Absolutely, although okay. I, I think I went a little bit more ridiculous than Steve did. Ridiculous <laughs> is good. Ridiculous um, in all, all comers. Go ahead. Because, like, uh, as I said, I'm not currently reading anything in the Marvel Universe per se. I'm, I am I do watch a lot of the Marvel Universe, though. Like, not the movies. I watch, the she- I watch S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm still in denial that Peggy Carter is – that Peggy Carter also made my, my list for uh, – for favorite Jack Kirby characters. Um, yes, but she is. A, yes. So uh, her, the current incarnation of, of Peggy made me pretty happy. So um, I would really, 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 really enjoy watching Lunella just get dropped in on Thor. Because I think that interaction would be vastly entertaining for because they are not going to understand one another. Yeah. Like at all, <laughs> even a little bit, you know, so I think that would be really funny for everybody to watch. So I, I went really sort of 
off the reservation on that one because I I just uh, I, I I wanted to see something that would be completely outside of the wheelhouse of her yeah. normal storyline and, and anything like that. I wanted to see something just really outside of that and see what she would do with it. Like, just put her right into the Avengers book, you know, just like right in the middle of it, you know, but with yeah. Thor, somebody cool. who doesn't at all rely on intellect. No, and who would see Devil Dinosaur as as a dragon that should be smited. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I'd probably have more in common with Devil Dinosaur, to be perfectly frank. Yeah. <laughs> have at the dragon. Right? And I mean, don't get me wrong, I like me some Thor. Like, he's funny, but... <laughs> Thor is a goodie. Melissa? I don't have an answer for this one. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> This was the one that I skipped over because I thought I will go back and think about this more and I just haven't been able to come up with something. That's okay. Not a regular Marvel reader totally understands. Steve stole all of mine, so I don't really have an answer either. It's hard for me to bend the rules, too. No, you're a rule breaker from way back. Was it uh, uh, Osmandius or whatever you came up earlier? (laughs) But nice try there, Melissa. Put her on the Teen Titans, if that's your thing. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> oh, I, that I would love to see. Yeah, see, we can we can, we can shoot across the companies and and make that happen. The Doom Patrol or somebody from uh, over at DC might might kind of work. I Sugar just, and Spike might not. I just love giving Melissa shit. <laughs> I want to. No, I want to see, no. I want to see Lunella dropped into Teen Titans like the the show that was on like. I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, you know, like when they were still young and actually teenagers. Yeah. Before I would, see, I would, was, oh my God, what just God. happened, you know? <laughs> I might like to see her dropped into Gotham Academy. Oh, oh wow. That's awesome. That's a great idea. <gasps> see, like as much as I, as much as I love Moon Girl as a superhero and I like the inventiveness of her stuff, I can't help but see her as a character that other people defer to kind of like a like a Nick Fury or a Reed Richards mm-hmm. character that she's in the lab building the thing. She's the what is it? The Q. Yeah, of, yeah exactly. of the Bond universe and that she's developing all of the new tech and all of the answers for all of the superheroes problems. Um, kind of like uh, what's her face from the Incredibles, the one that makes all the suits. Uh, Edna. Edna. Edna Mole. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, Mo. No capes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, Lunella is the one that's like, you know, no, no capes. I got something better than that. Oh, um, you just picked her a book with Lunella and maps? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could work. Could definitely work. Now, you, we've, we've talked about all of Lunella's inventions. I'm going to go to Bronwyn because you're, you have your own secret lab. <laughs> So Lunella's is pretty sweet underneath the school bathroom that takes yep. up in that one issue a two-page spread with commentary, no less. Yeah. <laughs> if you had a secret lab to do, like, hidden science stuff, what would you make? Oh, God. Okay. So um, <laughs> this this I actually write a story. I, I have a whole page of notes on this one, and it starts with, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, If I had a hidden lab, dot, dot, dot. Well, you know, I, I work in a lab, so, um, you know, <laughs> but if I had another one, a, I do think that my health and safety protocols would still be pretty high. So none of that, you know, no, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There, there would be, you know, there would, there would be maps from clean to 
to dirty areas. There would be, you know, areas for gloves. There would be glove receptacles. There would be PPE available. You know, you have to have your MSDSs, and they'd be available and, you know, Should easy to include your blueprints in the show notes for this probably yeah exactly (laughs) yeah (laughs) you need to know where all your emergency exits are (laughs) (laughs) um but no what experiments would i conduct probably ones that would break things down into their component parts i like to figure out what things are made of i i'm not necessarily an inventor i don't necessarily put stuff together i like to pull it apart (laughs) okay um, I, I like to, I like to find out what make, what makes things, you know, I like to, I like to break it down. Um, so, and now my lab would have different components because I like to experiment in a lot of different directions. So it, there would be a, a kitchen area because baking is science for hungry people. <laughs> um, <laughs> there would definitely be a dark room because that is a lot of chemistry and you have to keep that very separate from your kitchen area because that is different chemistry. Yeah. Yeah. There would be a minerals lab because I have been (laughs) a dirt and rock girl from day one. And there would be sort of an area for instrumentation because I would, you know, this is my dream lab we're talking about. I need to have an electron microscope and I need to have one for polarized light for just everyday stuff. Yeah, and <laughs> I need wow. to have fridges for different temperatures, freezers for different temperatures, because one of my favorite things is the geology of ice. It's very exciting. You asked. I mean, you're, you I, asked I me did. to out on I did. You did. <laughs> I did. I didn't know I was speaking to Victor Von Doom when I asked the question. <laughs> and you really, really should have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, okay, I'll stop. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Uh, I think we could. We don't need any more labs but yours in the whole Marvel Universe. It's all covered. <laughs> but I think Melissa has an answer, too. I don't have a lab planned, but I can tell you what kind of uh, experiments I would do. There you go. That's good <laughs> enough for me. Um, so I would probably work on a consciousness, a consciousness switch serum. To secretly switch people's minds and force them to temporarily live in another person's life. Wow. I promised Steve I would not get political, but that might be a little political. It could Um, be the walk a mile in my shoes. Yes. Yes. Um, I would make an invisibility serum because sometimes I really need to disappear and I can't. Ah, we all love to do that. That's yeah, that's a yeah. great one. Okay. I love to be able to just roam around without being seen. <laughs> and no, I don't want to sneak into people's houses or do anything creepy and weird. I just want to not be seen for a while. Yeah. Yep. Um, it's time to relax. Let me sit on the couch and no one knows I'm here. Yeah. Um and then <laughs> this one is really silly and I feel almost like Mara saying this. I feel this is like my magic girl moment. Um I would make a sparkle serum. For emergency, yep. for emergency life fix, yep. which is like it comes in glitter form. So you can just, you know, when shit gets too crazy in your surroundings and you can't fix it, you can just kind of sprinkle it around and, and bling, yep. uh, get better. Yeah, I'm, I'm liking I'm that. You said that because you, you want to be really careful about how part. often you use that one. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, because you got to be careful. There are people who don't want to be happy, don't want to be sparkly, and why waste it on them anyway? I can't believe I just said I would make a sparkle serum, but that's what I said. I can't yes. believe it was you and not me. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, makes me happy. Steve, what about your science experiment? Glitter, Steve. I'm making glitter. Yep. You're making <laughs> glitter? Melissa, Melissa's having glitter. glitter. <laughs> but t- tell them the rest of what you did. Steve was... Uh, going walkabout for a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to make a consciousness, consciousness switch serum so that you can secretly switch people's minds and force them to temporarily live in another person's life. Um, oh, my and God. <laughs> and I'm going to make an invisibility serum. And what would you do with your invisibility serum? Disappear. <laughs> To what, to what end, Disappear though? in my house so that my kid can't find me? That's horrible. <laughs> oh, no, everybody's entitled to a few minutes to themselves. <laughs> if you lived with a four-year-old, you would not say that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when he starts to cry? He cries gonna all watch, day long. <laughs> you're going to watch from your, your invisible castle. <laughs> Steve, when's the last time you used the bathroom alone? Just uh, about a minute and a half ago. Mm-hmm. I used the bathroom alone like three years ago. <laughs> like, yeah. What is it about kids that they can't let you go to the bathroom? They're like cats. They're exactly the same. I, like the cats and my kid both want to get in the bathroom. I don't understand. What do you do? I guess there's no privacy then. No, no, there's no privacy. <laughs> Do you just leave the door open? Are you at that point where you just don't care anymore? Ryan well, comes home and you're no. like, just doing your thing. He he leaves the door. He doesn't care anymore. He just doesn't try. But I always For try. For both? I close the door. <laughs> and I try to like yell and like scream, don't come in here. It doesn't work. What happens when it's number two time? What, what do you mean what happens? <laughs> That's my question. No, I'm more concerned about Ryan here. <laughs> He does close the door. I can't believe I'm talking about my husband pooping on the show right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm having that moment my own self. Bob walked away. He's, he's lost control of the show. There's no going back now. I could talk about what I would make in a lab. All right. Maybe we should do that. Uh, Brahman and I have often said this, and even though I am moving to Canada uh, within the coming months, I would still want to make a teleportation device. Yeah. Um, simply for, for going to and from places, not to mention travel. Uh, so much of what the expense of wanting to travel is, the actual traveling itself, getting to and from places is difficult. Um, Bronwyn and I both would have a lot more money if we didn't <laughs> spend so much of it on airfare and parking garages and just did you ever see the fly though yeah <laughs> but like but even just being somewhere else is money yeah you know yeah. and then there's always especially with our situation where there's kind of this like tiny little voice that is really able to justify eating out uh more often than you would normally if you were together all the time because you know part of your brain's like well but you're here you're on vacation you're in canada you live in new york go ahead spend another 47 dollars on you know pizza pizza or whatever the hell's going on (laughs) that night 
on Tim Hortons. Yeah. Um, no, Tim Hortons is actually quite affordable. I gotta, okay. I gotta give it up to Timmy's. I never, I never end up for as much crap as I walk away with from that place. You never really end up spending too much money. No. Um, there are places that I, they, they give me the total. I'm just like, really? What? But, um, I would make a teleportation device. Uh, selfishly, I would do, uh, medical research for diseases. I would figure that with a brain like Lunella Lafayette's that we could maybe develop some uh, antiviruses or serums or Aww. pills or whatever. Yeah. I think uh, that's the exact opposite of selfish, Steve. Yeah. Well, I I have written down a cure for Crohn's disease, so that's a little <laughs> Well, that can come first, but it could cure all the rest while you're at right, it. Right, right. I just, you know, there's been very little headway in that in the past over many years and it just the more and more people have it and little steps are being made but not enough and not not soon enough so i think that would be cool and uh i would totally look into developing those pills from the fifth element that you just put it in the machine and it makes your food for you when she puts the pill in and she's a chicken <laughs> and it's yeah. like, like chicken and vegetables yes. or what? When you first said that, I was thinking of the thing where it changes your face. I was like, oh, yeah, that's an awesome idea. <laughs> no, what would be really cool no is food, the, food. The, the, uh, the makeup kit from Total Recall would be awesome. Yeah. The secretary who's doing her nails with the little pen, that would be cool. Um, but no, either the Fifth Element pills or the other pills, which are from Back to the Future 2, the hydrating microwave. That they had, where they put the little pizza inside, and then they they hydrated like it. a shrinky dink. Yeah, yeah, and it in turned reverse, into this yeah. giant, huge, steaming uh, pizza pie. That would be cool. Mine's related to that. I've been promised a flying car since I'm a little kid, <laughs> and I still don't have one. Yeah, and I'm sick and tired of it. You got self-driving ones. That's and not good enough. Structure-free travel should be the way of the future. Yeah, yeah. I don't care how many. Uh, feet of stop signs they have to put up because I want to fly 12 feet above the road. I don't want to buy tires anymore. I just want to fly around. Uh, and think That's about that, all the money we could save in taxes if we didn't have to maintain roads. I know. See, infrastructure <laughs> gone completely. A little bit of alchemy where I could turn lead into gold wouldn't be bad. <laughs> That's more pseudoscience than science. Um, I think I look, just realized Steve is totally a shell for Big Pharma. <laughs> he's like he's like yeah i'm gonna solve all the diseases a pill for you and a pill for you and more pills for you <laughs> i'll have you know <laughs> that i am leaving on a very long car trip to go up to maine to do the exact opposite of big pharma <laughs> well good thing you don't have a lab <laughs> yes there you go see now, since we were talking about the lab under the school, you know, PS20 is actually a real school in lower Manhattan. It's the Anna Silver School, and the street sign is in the book. It is on 166 Essex. It's a real school. Nice. So, from your student days, Steve, <laughs> would you would you like to regale us with a fun story, favorite teacher, uh, awkward moment, whatever? Whatever's illuminating, whatever's a good one. I'm going to go with awkward moment Okay. for mine. 
Okay, so here's the deal. <laughs> when I was in, I want to say seventh or eighth grade. Uh, I'm not going to name names, mostly because I don't remember because there were a lot of assholes in my school, and I can't remember <laughs> which one of you assholes was the one that did this particular thing. It's you. Yeah. It's you. I see you from here. Um. So somebody had put cherry bombs in the men's toilet. Oh, sure. Where, where else would you It's go? a, you know, oh, it's a classic. Yeah. Yeah, it's really dumb and you shouldn't do it, but this person <laughs> did. And um, so he lit more than one. I think he, he had fused at least three or four of them together, lit it, and um, we had a custodian who had gone into the bathroom oh, no. shortly thereafter, and the cherry bombs went off. And it damaged her hearing in one of her ears. Uh, they called the school assembly about it. And right at the moment where they were talking about the seriousness of the matter, uh, a friend of mine who was sitting across the table from me named Tom, I will name you, <laughs> uh, he made the most ridiculous face I think that I had ever seen up until that point in my life. And I burst out laughing oh no in a silent laughter in a silent cafeteria where they're talking about the severity of this situation and this poor woman who had you know lost partial hearing because of these cherry bombs um both of us were quick this is this is where it gets interesting okay i'm not embellishing any of this by the way i think people got away with more back in the day both of us were quickly grabbed up by my school principal like forcibly grabbed up, like the back, collar, back yeah. of the shirt, back of the collar, hoisted up out of our seats and kind of like half thrown in the direction of the, you know, like, like we do get out of here kind of thing. <laughs> and so we were shoved into the direction of the principal's office. And <laughs> we're in the principal's office and his name was at the time was Mr. Faulkner. And it was known throughout the entire student student body and faculty members that he was a drinker. Oh, um, he would come to assemblies and he would be toasted. He would be berating uh, students in the hallway and he was very red in the face and you could sometimes smell it on him. Um, everybody knew. Everybody knew. There were a couple of there were a couple of faculty members in my old schools that were a little uh, questionable. I had an art teacher that was into some weird stuff <laughs> but anyway um so we're in his office and he's berating me and tom he's telling us you know what terrible people we are for laughing at this poor woman which we completely were not <laughs> i was not laughing at the unfortunate situation i actually the i can't remember her name but the custodian she was there for a number of years very very sweet woman never heard a fly quiet the whole bit did not deserve the, the situation that she was dealt but um so he's doing his thing and he's doing his thing. And he, he was a very he he does what I do where I, I talk with my hands a lot. And so he's flailing and he's pissed and he knocks over this tall plastic cup that Uh-oh. was in his office and the contents of the cup spill out. And it was a half capped, then open bottle of Bacardi. Rum. Oh. oh, no. And I know that it was because I knew the labeling 
for the Bacardi with the black bat against the red background, right? And so this thing falls to the ground. It starts leaking out. He flies out from around his desk. He picks it up. He starts screwing the cap back on and kind of like blotting out the the uh, smell of the alcohol with uh, with tissues and whatever he had uh, on his desk. And like the whole issue of us doing whatever we did, it just was <laughs> out the window. Punishment. Everything was gone. And he just looked up from the floor and told us to leave his office immediately. And he was so just taken aback by the situation that he landed himself in. Funnily enough, a little capper to that story, the uh, yearbooks came out later that year, and I still have it. It's in my closet (laughs) that if you look at his photo, you know, Principal Faulkner, blah, 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 you can see the top cap of the Bacardi (laughs) in the damn photo. Oh, no. Yes. So there's a little a little story of my my middle middle school or junior high school years as it was. That's a good one. Yeah, Melissa, do you have one? Did we lose her again? Did she mute us? Okay, Bronwyn, go ahead. We'll find <laughs> Melissa. Oh, I'm here. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I had to come up with the one that I could tell on the show. <laughs> I'm not really completely sure if this one's okay, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. Um, <laughs> So my uh wait where'd my note go? I lost my note. Where is it? Um, my favorite teacher, just very briefly, was a um. In middle school, he was an English comp teacher, and he was really weird and silly. And he would give us really strange writing projects. Like one that I always remember was he told us to write, pretend you're a gym sock, and write what you would see in a week. <laughs> oh my god. It was really oh. the strangest thing I ever had to write. Um and he also could burp the entire alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> Which skills. I was impressed by. I thought it was pretty cool. <laughs> um yeah, and he did it pretty regularly and he was just totally silly and kind of, you know, a, a, like a real person. So I always adored him. Um so my story is kind of a a bit of a breakfast club moment that I had with a bunch of friends. Um uh-huh. In high school, um, my, my friends were mostly uh, a bunch of stoners and metalheads and skate kids. We were just all yeah. skaters. And um, and we had, my school was set up in a way that the library was across the back of the school. And it was all like floor-to-ceiling windows. And it faced the Hudson River. Um, so we snuck out during a class at one point to go out back and get our stone on and um <laughs> and the only way to uh to to keep the door open was to stick a pencil in it um because they locked um and my friend my best friend in high school has a twin brother and he came out after the rest of us were out to meet us and he had this silly habit of like skipping um everywhere that he went so <laughs> Yeah, okay. he he skipped, um, came out the door and skipped his feet as he came and knocked that pencil right out. Oh! And the door shut behind him, um, and it was the middle of winter, <laughs> and Ooh. most of us were not wearing coats. Um, I remember snow like probably up to about calf high. It was pretty high snow wow. at that point, so we all had to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is where it gets very Breakfast Club. We all the only way to get back in the building was we had to sneak a 
past all of the library windows in the snow <laughs> across the whole back of the building and oh, then jump over a fence and then sneak into the front door <laughs> of, the, of the school. <laughs> so if you can imagine this long line of about like six, you know, stone high school kids with no coats on freezing like this and trying to run through the snow past a bunch of people sitting in the library watching us um, and pretend we're not up to anything bad. Yeah. I'm sure you You're... were super stealthy. Yeah, no, we weren't. <laughs> You're going to be hearing from your principal tomorrow. You owe him three hours detention, I think. Well, the school doesn't exist anymore. Oh, and okay. the, uh, yeah, the, there was actually a hole cut in the fence at that school that was there when my dad was a kid, and he used to sneak through the same hole. So <laughs> we have a long legacy of being in trouble at high school. That's there. pretty funny. But yeah, my the, uh, that girl is still my best friend. So we, you know, we share that story sometimes. We remember it and how her brother screwed it all up for us. That darn Skippy. Yep. <laughs> Robin, how about you? I can't imagine you did anything wrong in school. Oh. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, of course not. <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. I. Uh, my stories were a little – I had different stories, I think, because, I, yeah, I was a uh, smartass. I was I was Lunella. Um, <laughs> but also, I grew up in the Ottawa Valley <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Um, Less opportunities, so, obviously, yeah. You know, like uh, my grade school had 250 people in it, including staff and students from JK to grade 8. <laughs> so That's we had the, not much. We had the largest graduating class the school had ever seen with twenty students. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was uh, it was not a large population, um, but I remember we did have this fantastic teacher uh, in grade seven and eight. Uh, it was it was it was a school that was very much not necessarily known for um, social skills development um but you know had we were very high developed academically um so we did a lot of testing and we you know so by the time i made it to high school i was pretty much further ahead by a couple of years than the rest of my compatriots uh in most of the main subjects like math and science and stuff like that so um and a lot of that was probably thanks to mr anderson who was our grade seven and eight teacher uh, who was, he, you know, still a friend of my family and, you know, lived in the same village and played all the sports. We all, you know, played all the sports together because it was the only way to see anybody in the in winter. Or if you weren't working together, like sports are kind mm -hmm. of a thing, you know, where it's the social interaction, right? Um, but he was hysterical because he always had the same sort of uh, sayings, you know, like the you always have this sort of rhetoric that kind of becomes very, very predictable. One of my favorites of his was always, you call my bluff, I'll call your parents. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Because, of course, he knew each and every one of us and all of our parents yeah. and, you know, all of our parents' parents. And, you know, like, I, I was born several provinces away, but my dad had grown up in the valley and his dad had grown up in the valley and 
you know, like my dad was two of eight. And so all of his siblings there. And I mean, I would run into people. I had no idea who they are. And they're like, you're a Kelly. Which one are you? (laughs) 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 So, you know, this was how I grew up. Right. So, um, but he was who I, but I, I was the obnoxious kid. I was the, I I was the smart kid in that class and who didn't understand the social cues. And I was, good at predicting behavior but not good at relating to it gotcha so i could i would follow along with what mr anderson was saying in a lesson that i'd never heard before i could speak along with his words because i had i knew him well enough that i could predict what he was going to say and do you you still see mr anderson so that's good right i do and i think i've apologized to him a few times and uh you know, if you ever hear this, Mr. A, I'm really sorry again that I was an ass. <laughs> you were a great teacher. I'm going to step in for just a moment. Uh-huh. Uh, Bob, after you give your piece, we have time for one more question and maybe a little bit of uh, email. And then we've got to. Okay. We, we're not, well, we'll each throw a quote in maybe. Yeah, that's the that's last. The that, okay. We'll do your bit and then we'll gotcha. do our quotes and then we're, we're going to have to. You got it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, mine is sort of a, an amalgam of everyone's in terms of what it is. I've told the story here. I know about my ninth grade well, freshman year English teacher, Mrs. Sullivan, who let us read all sorts of stuff, write sort of stuff through his books out the window on a Friday and <laughs> started over again on a Monday with a whole new plan. We were the, the class of the smart kids which just meant we were worse than everybody else. (laughs) And a bunch of really entertaining folks who had a lot of crazy ideas. I was absent that year, a lot of sickness, whatever. Most of my school career was that way. Probably 70 days out of the school year, I was out one way or the other. I missed yearbook picture day. So two of the kids in the class who every, every day had a radio play over the intercom during homeroom which was their version of the odyssey but done with teachers names and things (laughs) this is the late 60s early 70s there's a lot of screwing around going on a lot of freedom in huntington very liberal area well they decided that since i couldn't show up for pictures they they fixed it my name was in the yearbook with a blank spot where my picture would have been where'd you go to school J. Taylor Finley Junior High School is where this happened. My mom went to Walt Whitman. Uh, different, the other school district. Okay. District 3, she's District 13. So I went there for a while, but not in high school. So blank picture and underneath my name, and then in brackets, the phantom student. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I was in the yearbook. They also, I, after I came back from being out for three weeks, they all chipped in, the teacher included, and bought me a rubber stamp that said Phantom Student so I could stamp my papers instead of signing them. <laughs> That's awesome. That's very cool. So that all sort of worked. Now, Steve, would you like to read this question since it's your question? Sure. Um, Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur is filled with quotes from some of the greatest scientific minds humanity has to offer. Do you the group perhaps have any favorite quotes ideologies or advice from any of the brilliant minds that have helped us evolve as a people uh i could go first i suppose uh i have three quotes that i've pulled from some of my favorite people uh the first one is actually from stephen hawking and uh this is one of my this is one of my absolute favorites i saw this at a very choice time 
uh, and it's stuck with me ever since. And uh, quote, I have noticed even people who claim everything is predestined and that we uh, we can do. I'm sorry. I'm going to read it over again. And I apologize. All right. I have noticed even people who claim everything is predestined and that we can do nothing to change it. Look before they cross the road. That's great. <laughs> yep. I love that. Uh, my next one is from Neil deGrasse Tyson, the man. Uh, curious that we spend more time congratulating people who have succeeded than encouraging people who have not. <gasps> oh, that's cool. Yeah. Think about that. And uh, my final one is from Mary Curie. Uh, a scientist in this laboratory is not a mere technician. He is also a child confronting national pheno- uh, natural phenomena that impress him as though they were fairy tales. Ooh, I like that, that has heavy hitting stuff there, Steve. Yes, that's how. Especially that's how quoting I do. one of the Runaways. I thought that was brilliant. Yep. The- <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Yep. I like it. <laughs> who's, who's next? Uh, I can go next. Okay. I also have three quotes. Um, I have one from Niels Bohr. Anyone who is not shocked by quantum theory has not understood it. Oof. (laughs) I always love that. I'm sorry, I just do. Um, One from Einstein. Anyone who has not made a mistake has not tried anything new. Oh, man, I like that one. I'm feeling worse and worse about my quotes as we go. Go ahead. <laughs> and I also went with Mary Curie because Madame Curie is a hero of mine. Nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. Nice. Oof. Nice. I thought that was apropos of the time. Yeah. Throwing down the gauntlet. <laughs> don't worry bob i'll lighten it up a bit okay go for it go for it melissa i'll, so- I'll soften the slope for you okay <laughs> give me a, give me a nice landing spot before like, we get i feel to... like i should start by just saying brilliant minds that have helped us evolve as a people is you know like evolve in different ways right absolutely mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um so <laughs> So uh, my first one is um, never mistake knowledge for wisdom. One helps you make a living. The other helps you make a life. And (sighs) that is from Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, Great distinction. My second favorite one is I generally avoid temptation unless I can't resist it. (laughs) 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 Who is from the lovely Mae West. Um. And the third one is insufficient facts always invite danger. Mm-hmm. And that is from my, my, my good friend Spock. Uh, of nice. course it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm definitely not in the right company here. You're way, <laughs> way ahead of me. So um, the 1920s and 30s social critic H.L. Mencken, a newspaper reporter, he covered the Scopes Monkey Trial, among other things. Famously said, and this is apropos to our times, another one of those kind of things. No one ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public. Uh-huh. <laughs> I like it. Um, on, on that vein, we've had a lot of talk about our election and who did what and who's to blame and so on. So this is from William Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. 
at the, at the funeral of Caesar, Cassius says, The fault, dear Brutus, lies not in our stars, but in ourselves. Ouch. Ouch. And this one, which is more science-y based, but not particularly, because I just me. Uh, he, he said this a lot, but he actually did say it to me one year at an icon. It's Harlan Ellison, the science fiction author, who says, you are not entitled to your opinion. You're entitled to your informed opinion. No one is entitled to be ignorant. Oh, I like that. I wish it were more true. So, yeah, more people <laughs> listen. But, yeah, that's that's where we go. So, Steve, do we have some comments from the ether before i go into an emailed comment uh i think you should just go straight into the email comment okay uh we i got a very long email that i will sort of try to accordion together as best i can from our friend sarah miles over in the united kingdom and she read moon girl and devil dinosaur and writes on first read i just saw this as a cute little story about a girl and a dinosaur nothing groundbreaking Maybe I had no history with Devil Dinosaur, but on closer inspection, I found that it was actually a deep tale about being the outsider, always being told that something is wrong with you and having a deep awareness of that fact, trying hard to escape the fate of being other or different, but knowing that it is inevitable despite all your work. I'm condensing a bit here. The idea of change as a metaphor for puberty was quite interesting to me. Lunella is desperate to be grown up, but scared of what growing up means to her. How she would change, who she will become. I think that will strike a chord with a lot of little girls out there. On the subject of little girls, I probably owe mine an apology because I actually bought this book for her as a Christmas gift, and I kind of sort of read it for book club twice. <laughs> but, it, but, it was, but it was totally worth it, though. So thank you, Sarah, for trusting in us. And uh, Bella, you didn't listen to this, and you're, you're, you know, your mom didn't read this book twice. <laughs> I love it. So is are we wrapping up, wrapping up? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, we did get a, a lovely question from uh, Carol Cross, who is uh, at Kinky Comic Girl on Twitter. But I think that we covered. Uh, oh, we can read her question just to say we read it. Sure, I can bring it up. Um, I'm actually curious. I don't have um, like our contact info and everything. Do you have that as a part of your outro or no? No, because okay. I thought you had it. Okay, no, I can. I can handle it. See. We have, we have, uh, I will start it. We have obviously here at Talking Comics a myriad of podcasts on lots of subjects, which include the, the core talking comics. We have talking games. We have talking movies. (laughs) We have the legendary runs. We have the top shelf book club. Talking Valiant. Talking Valiant. Talking Trousers. (laughs) <laughs> talking talking statham it's a lot of podcasts we have, it's just so many podcasts it's huge it's just huge to it quote is. somebody i shouldn't so uh <laughs> i got that. huge just huge it's oh god <laughs> okay i'm gonna rescue us carol cross at kicking comic girl on twitter with comics like this and champions which is another uh team-based kids marvel series uh are we seeing a welcomed lighter type of book um, I mean, yes and no for me in, yes, it is a lighter tone. These books do exist if you know where to find them and where to look. They're never completely gone. Uh, this book just so happens to do an exemplary job 
of bringing, like we said, especially uh, in the writing, but also in the art, that vibrancy and that kind of approachability to like the Saturday morning cartoonish nature of like the soft colors and the softer lines for the 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 expressive facial uh, expressions that they have throughout the book and just the like the kind of magic type capering of of running around with a dinosaur and careening through the city streets and saving people from burning schools and stuff like mm-hmm. that. You know, there's a high fantasy element to there's it. Movement in every panel. Yeah. Yes. The art is just jumping off the page all of the time. The color helps with that. I think a lot, it's just a beautiful book. I think it's, it's a, it's one of those questions uh, that when you see a book like this, you wonder why there aren't more like it. Yeah. You know what, if this is such a joy, why don't we have at least like five or six others that can kind of make its own little corner of the Marvel universe? And that's a safe place for families and young readers. I think Marvel in the wake of Kamala Khan has brought a lighter tone to some things, but then some of their mainstream books are very dark and filled with violence and hero on hero violence. Dark, sir. Was it uh, something yeah. full of terror? Right, exactly. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit of everything. Outside of the big two, there are quite a few books. But those are in the corners of the bookstore and sort of segregated out in a way. So it is a matter of searching them out. And again, because they're in comic stores, even though they're changing, you've got to make special trips to get there. And as, as we said, if these if a book like this were available in the supermarket, at the checkout counter and your your little boy or girl saw a book with a big dinosaur and a little girl with a fancy backpack and doing sciencey stuff might be interested but it's stuck somewhere where they can't see it yeah, yeah. i think there are more lighter books but they have to be searched for yeah for sure yeah all right that's it that's it that's it so if we had, I think we had a great time. We'll be doing this again. Whose pick is next, by the way? Me. Woo! Okay, Melissa, do we have a pick? We are aiming for a Friday the 13th in January. Yes, and speaking of light books, I am not going to pick a light book for this. Um, <laughs> okay. Shocking. So, uh, I am going to make you guys have some nightmares, and I'm picking um, Death Follows. The graphic Ooh. novel from Colin Bunn, Ooh. and uh, the art is by AC and Carlos Zamudio. Mm. Um, it's a uh, yeah, it's a graphic novel from 2016, and it's gonna scare the pants off you. Okay, wow. then you're the one I'm calling in the middle of the night. Yes, <laughs> and we'll be talking about this on a Friday the 13th. How appropriate? Yeah, uh, yeah, just so. It- just so there's no confusion, um, there will be no show for the month of December between holidays and other Talking Comics responsibilities, whether it be the official comics uh, end of the year awards or the game awards or whatever, uh, and travel as well, not to mention the holiday madness. It's just too much. So we want to you know, prepare a great show for you and take our time and be able to spend time with the book. So we're we're looking at a January 13th uh, record date. Of course, you will hear the show the following Monday. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us uh, officially, you can tweet us, which is at Top Shelf Pod on Twitter. I'm not entirely sure of our email, which is 
quite embarrassing. Yes. <laughs> don't you have it on? Uh, you don't have it on on uh, Sarah's thing, do you? No, because she sent it to me. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why don't you we'll do? Put it in the show notes. Or Steve will look it up. In, yeah. in the meantime, if people wanted to get in touch with you, Bronwyn, where would that be at? You can find me on Twitter at shinybabyb. I'm also on Instagram. <laughs> the old Instagrams. Melissa, how about you? Uh, our email is bookclub at talkingcomics.com. Thank you. Thank you very much, Melissa. FYI. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Punch. And you can also listen to me talk on Sirens of Scream through Here December, which I will not be taking a break from. <laughs> me, 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 me. We're watching Krampus. <laughs> By the way, I, I watched a number of your other 30 day, 31 Days of Horror. Uh, your Next was one of the creepiest home invasion movies I've ever seen. Oh, so good. Have you watched The Babadook yet? Yes. And loved it. Yes. Oh, yeah, thanks to the sirens, they oh, made me movie. watch the Babadook. I love that movie so much. We had the also, best Halloween list. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> Still have it. It's on my video rack. And for when I go to the library, if there's something I need, there's that list. Wow. Steve, where can people find you besides <laughs> you can, sitting here next to me? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at dead underscore anchorus. And uh, what about you, Bob? I'm still at Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Indeed. Uh, so that's going to do it for the fourth episode of the Top Shelf Comic Book Club podcast. Once again, uh, thank you to everybody who's been tuning into these shows and who's been retweeting and uh, particularly the creators who have been shouting the show and, and have been, as far as we know, have been impressed with it and have been, you know, willingly – sharing it with people and not just doing it out of courtesy, <laughs> which I think is pretty awesome. And, um, you know, we're not a part of the official Talking Comics feed, so uh, we're on the special edition feed, which doesn't necessarily get the traffic. If you guys could find the time to uh, rate us and review us, we would really, really appreciate it. It helps the show get out. And, you know, even though we have kind of a built-in audience from the comic show and wherever else, it doesn't hurt to have the show stand out on its own and we're very proud of it and uh it would just mean a lot to us if you guys could give us a shout on uh, itunes or wherever you're finding this show and just in advance we thank you uh for it and uh yeah so january 13th is our next holiday everybody you too happy thanksgiving and merry christmas and happy new year and yeah, Happy seriously. All the holidays. Yes. Enjoy, <laughs> enjoy your stuff. Uh, we got a lot of crazy things coming up, including a big event in January that we'll let you know about, and uh, probably some bigger news as Bronwyn and I uh, get nearer and nearer to both our move and uh, marriage. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Very it's gonna exciting. Be, oh, it's gonna be awesome! So exciting. Uh, so yeah. Thank you very, very much, and uh, we will catch you when we turn to the next chapter of the Top Shelf Comic Book Club.